Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 18. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, promoting... Jill Edwards runs the Comic Boom Comedy Club and her stand-up course, which was the first in the UK, at the Comedia in Brighton. She's been in the industry for over 20 years, and we talked about pretty much everything. <laughs> um, I was I was going to make a list of stuff that we covered, but honestly, it's, it's not worth doing, because we just talked about everything, from promoting a night, setting up a night, to structures for shows to just how to move up in the industry, how to progress as a stand-up, what the sticking points are for most professional stand-ups. It, it's just got so much in it. I, I mean, we talked for hours, and I managed to narrow it down to two hours, which is honestly took so much effort because there were so many good bits that I really wanted to include, and I did. I, I didn't. I only took out waffle and fluff and sort of middle bits, but I wanted to keep in her personality because she's such a vibrant and an exciting person to talk to. So uh, yeah, it's another long one, and I hope you appreciate and enjoy it. If you're interested in working with her or finding out more about her comedy course, the comedy night, uh, her corporate training, just anything she does, you can find her at jill-edwards.co.uk. There's links in the show notes. Uh, you can find the show notes at Simon Kane, S-I-M-O-N-C-A-I-N-E dot co dot UK forward slash Ask the Industry Podcast. As always, everything that we talked about, including timestamps for every question, can be found there. And yeah, it was amazing. One of the p- particular highlights of this show, which I'll just point out now, was uh, ripping apart my show title and structure. <laughs> um, we we chatted about it for a little while, and she, I left it in because it's such a nice critique of what I was doing and where I was going wrong and I felt like other people could get something out of it and maybe uh, enjoy if you don't enjoy what I do enjoy hearing my comedy being ripped apart and if you do enjoy what I do hear how it is at the moment and how it will have progressed by the time you see it maybe in Brighton or Edinburgh if you want to come and see me perform the show uh, I'm doing the Brighton Fringe it's called Buddhism and Cats and it's on at the Carolina Brunswick and it's on on the 5th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 24th, 25th, 26th and 27th of May. Uh, it starts at 7.45, it's completely free. 
please come down and support it. It'd be great. Before I start to play you the interview, I just want to point this out. Uh, thank you so much for the donations. Uh, they're really helpful and really nice. Something I'm working towards at the moment is being able to have the show be its own self-contained, not business, but like um, supported thing. Uh, let me explain what that means. Um, donations are great, but they're not necessarily as consistent as they need to be for me to make this as consistent as I want it to be. So I've set up a Patreon page. Patreon essentially allows you to give me a regular donation per podcast. So I have a budget for each podcast and I have um, backing, which means that if I need to take a day off work to afford to go and meet a guest and record a podcast... I know that I have X amount of money to afford the train fare and the time and the effort and the editing and all that stuff. So uh, if you want to support me, please do. I want to avoid using advertising networks as much as possible. I've been approached by three and the average amount that they have offered me is around £5 per thousand downloads, which means they, as I work it out, value your listen for this show at half a penny each now, if you think this podcast is worth more than half a penny, personally, I love the fact you even listened. So for me, it's priceless. But if you value this podcast at more than half a penny, please go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash RC Industry Podcast. Again, <clears throat> there's a link on the website. Uh, I've redesigned the website a bit, so it's slightly easier to use and stuff. So uh, you can go to the website, you can find the link there, or you can find the link in the show notes. Um, It's all over the place, essentially. Unfortunately, you have to donate in dollars, which means for every dollar you give me, I get 90 cents of that because the site takes 10p out of every dollar. And then you convert that back into English money, take it through the system, all that stuff. It's about 60p per dollar you spend. So if you want to donate two dollars it would mean i'd end up with about a pound each time and that'd be great also you'd be joining a mailing list because um it means i can send you out emails that tell you exclusive stuff about the podcast when the next episode's out um and any additional guests and you can ask me questions to ask them if you want to um if you want to donate slightly higher amounts than that um it would really help out the show and it means that going forward when i manage to find time to sort out live recordings of these Obviously, there'll be, you know, advanced ticket sales for you guys or even discount ticket sales for people who are supportive of the podcast at these early routes. Thank you so much for everyone who's signed up for it so far. It's really lovely and honestly has made me feel so good about this project. Um, I've got some great guests lined up in May. The other two pods are going to be out later on in the month. Thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you so much for your support. Please. Oh, by the way, don't donate if you can't afford it. I don't want anyone going into debt for this project. There's no point in that. If you can afford it, you know, you want to chuck me $5 a pod so that I have a budget for each of the future ones, please do. It would be really helpful. If you can't afford that, then don't do it and just donate when you can. I don't, I'm not asking you. It's like it's like the bucket system at the end of an Edinburgh Fringe show, except on a regular basis is what I'm asking for. Um, don't put in, don't don't bet the house is basically what I'm saying. So, thank you very much for listening. Without any further delays, this is Jill Edwards. If you want to be popular, don't run a comedy club. Why? Because it's the shortest route for playing. Well, because you're not going to book everybody. I know sometimes my um, my uh, graduates from my comedy course um, here in Brighton at the Comedia, they set up, um, since I started running my course there, since I transferred to Brighton, I guess it was 10, 10 11 years ago, they've all, they basically created the 
the circuit here it was kind of there was very little going on when I arrived and also there's the crater the crater was always here um, and Rabbits in the Headlights which is still going mm-hmm. although now run by one of my graduates but they've started up um, little nights and one of the things that I always warn them about and they run some really good nights here really good little nights um, I always warn them look the, don't do it if you're scared of, of if you really want to be popular and don't do it if you can't say no to booking people that you don't think are very good because otherwise it won't be a good night so you've got to make sure you serve the night rather than your friends mm. you know that's the trickiness when you're new running at a new at night isn't it the kind of you're all in it together and then suddenly one of you's going no no I'm not I'm not going to be booking you. I don't think you're very good. Um, but if you're running a very big, if you're running a big club, then um, yeah, shortest route to popularity. It's shortest route to unpopularity. Although I guess the people you book like you, but um, it's just not a popular thing to do because you have to say no to people. But if you say you have to say no to people because you have to book the people that are. I mean, I feel, and I think a lot of people feel that you have to book the people that work for your audience, that your audience will like, because your audience are the people paying the money to come to your club. So if you're not booking acts that they enjoy, they're not going to come to your club. Therefore, the whole thing collapses. You know, it's kind of. But I mean, one of the things I did with Comic Boom when I first started it up at the Comedia, um, I don't know around around the same time I was starting the courses there, um, was I always wanted to make sure there was a woman, female comedian on the bill. Um, and certain things I wanted to do like to make sure there were certain types of communities I kind of built it toward you can, you can build a club deliberately to be a certain type of club and I wanted a really friendly warm upbeat club where newer acts could do well um, and an audience that would be very kind of open about about the acts that we're on um, and it's developed into something I'm really proud of but it is only for kind of the best up and coming acts the ones that are breaking through at the moment mm. it's not for brand new acts it's too big a room 300 seater mm. so you know you don't do it straight away yeah no I know what you're saying I, um, I had Peter uh, the dad says the king's head on Aww. and he, I love Pete he's, gr- <laughs> he's so nice yeah officially I've said it on, radio, on podcast now <laughs> I'll send him that um, <laughs> but he I'm just going to chop out everyone's quote and just send them it I love it yeah um <laughs> But uh, no, he was lovely, and he was just saying that you know, I we're we're loyal to the people who were with us at the start. Yeah, we, we uh, love letting new talent through, which is why we do the new act night. Absolutely. But we have to book people who will work in this room, and if you come yes. down, and for example, he said if you do if you do a rape joke or you do a, a graphic sex joke, which he doesn't particularly like anyway, but his audience they sit there and they're like be funnier than that yeah mine's the same that's too easy I think that's true I mean Pete's been around for a very very long time and the King's Head is a great night um, and definitely one that you want to get into uh, if you can and if Pete gives you feedback listen uh, if any great promoter who's been around as long as Pete has gives you feedback then listen to it um yeah the thing is it's pointless me booking somebody who's doing the same old generic bland rape pedo facebook stuff because my audience will just be like that's not interesting we've heard that like they're a very comedy literate audience that's why i've tended to go towards um the more quirky different kind of interesting uh interesting to them acts or perhaps it's i mean perhaps it's me perhaps i set that up from the beginning i don't know but brighton's a very comedy literate town now Mm. um there's a huge like there's a thriving comedy circuit here Um, people forget that it is a tiny little town there's not a huge audience it's tiny I don't think we did start off again as well as the first time sorry no it's okay I went off down a different track I'm going to just leave you leave me back if you want to no no well I'm going to leave in the bit where you said that we did it better the first time round and that way people (laughs) (laughs) people can know that it was a bad edit for me Um, well we can try it again (laughs) we can try and recapture it it's alright the magic is gone 
the moment's gone. Okay, where were we? We were well. Uh, I was I was going to point out that uh, yeah, another another promoter I've had on him with Jeff Whiting, yeah. who said that. Uh, uh, to, I mean, in, in reference to your popularity point, he said that if if a comedian comes on who you haven't booked, or yeah. a comedian you haven't booked is out and about, and they meet up with another comedian who hasn't been booked by you and they both have a reason to think why you didn't book them but they've never asked you yeah they will get together come up with the reason between them tell everyone that's the reason yeah and the rumor becomes fact um i think that's very true i don't seem to have that too much with comic boom in that i have a very clear booking policy that's on my website that just says this is how you get a spot of comic boom so if people if people just email me randomly, um, they don't get a reply. I mean, I, I don't want to be impolite to people, but there is a very clear booking policy. And I spend a lot of time looking for acts that I want to book for Comic Boom. But I think the key thing is to ask, just because you're not right for a club, it doesn't mean you're not a good comedian. Mm. It also means that if you're not right for a club, that club doesn't become rubbish just because they won't book you and that promoter doesn't become rubbish <laughs> just for, or awful or like someone worth hating because they won't book you. What they're trying to do is a job that involves money. They're trying to book people that are right for their night so that people come to their night so that their night does well. I mean, you can't avoid the business angle of things. Mm. Now, I book quite a lot of acts that I think probably aren't booked by a lot of other people because I do have a tendency towards the slightly bonkers act. Um, who aren't as bookable uh, as the sort of more, uh, I don't know, not mainstream, but as this kind of easier acts. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that uh, that Comic Boom is the is the haven of the of the slightly wonky act who does something really different. Um, so I don't think the other clubs that don't book them aren't aren't right. Uh, and the fact that I don't book the ones that other clubs book, there's no point in sending a promotion email saying. I've been booked at blah, 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 I'd like to do your night. Because actually, that doesn't mean that they would be right for my night or that my night would be right for them. I tend to prefer to say whether my night is right for them. I mean, they could still be a fantastic... I've been to see fantastic comedians that I've really liked and just thought, oh, you know, they are great, but they're not right for my night. And if they're a top comedian, we've chatted about it and laughed about it. And they said, oh, no, no, I know I'm not right for your place. And it's not an issue because they're playing much bigger clubs you know, wonderful places. Uh, whereas a neurac tends to take it a bit more personally, and I think that's a terrible shame because it's going to happen that people are going to say that to you, and it doesn't mean that you're not great. Mm. It just means that you might not be right for a particular night. You just mustn't let that get you down. I, th- I think it's um, a combination of maturity that comes with doing the circuit, and also yeah. um, too many, in my opinion, comedians I I hang out with or either associate with are focused on this show part, the show part of show business and not the business. Yeah, that's so true. And they don't think about it as a... I mean, I... I that's mean, so incredibly true. Honestly, if anyone's listening to this, please remember that you've got to be able to do the business bit. You've got to be savvy about the business. If you want to be a comedian and you want people to pay you money to be a comedian, you're doing a job. So you've got to understand that you're part of a business. It's not just nobody owes you. Uh, a spot or, or a tryout somewhere you've got to be good enough to, to get that you've got to kind of understand how to deal with people don't send emails written in text speak um, you know if there's a booking policy read the booking policy you know, there are so many things the people that I've taught that have gone on to do really well have all been clear about being very savvy about the business and as, they, as they've got stronger and stronger and done more and more in the business um, and got into bigger and bigger gigs we've talked more and more about the business side of it mm. because actually being a great comedian is fantastic But you've also got to be good at admin, tedious as that is for all of us. Um, And you've also just got to be able to be understanding about the business and have some kind of business brain. 
mm. or business savvy, not business brain, and it's not like that, but just to understand the really simple basics of the comedy business that a promoter is doing something that involves a lot of money sometimes. Yeah, no, I mean, f- for me, I had a click point just before Edinburgh last year, which was a shame because then I went to Edinburgh and I had to forget about business because I was doing a free fringe show and you, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work in that short space of time and try it out. Mm. But then I came back and I was like, I'm a biz, I'm an indie business. Yeah, I need to be that as best I can and not think of it as, I mean, be isolated because it's your business, but you need other people to help you make that business run. Oh yeah, totally. And like yeah. you said, don't be a dick. Don't be a knob, was what I actually said. Off off recording, I said to you, don't be a knob, uh, would be one of my biggest bits of advice. I hadn't been a knob, and you (laughs) said, don't be a knob, by the way. We were just talking. I didn't say, no, I wasn't saying don't be a knob because you'd been a knob. What was it we were talking about? We were saying, you were saying that most of the people that are doing well in in comedy um, are really nice. Yeah. And... We were saying that the thing for that, this is stuff that, that we haven't re- recorded and then it realised we hadn't recorded. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the point was, I mean, I say that right at the beginning of the comedy course I teach, actually, uh, a section, there's a section called Don't Be a Knob. Uh, and then it just goes on from there because the thing is that the people who've done well are, aren't knobs generally. They have been, if they were, nobody would have wanted to work with them. See, that's one of the key things is you have to remember that people have to want to work with you. Mm. So if you have a choice of a collection of great new comedians that you would really like to see develop and you'd really like to nurture their talent, you are going to pick the ones that aren't going to drive you nuts all night. You're with them a whole night Oh yeah. in a tense situation. It's the same with, I met up with a PR person the other day for, for the podcast oh, yes. and they said to me, you know, as much as we love the money, if, if you're going to drive us mad for the entire of Edinburgh yeah. and, you're, and you're not going to be someone we want to work with, there are hundreds of other people out there who have the budget who will do it. And, I, and this is someone who you're paying like a few grand yeah. to do work for you yeah, who oh, are yeah. saying, I'll turn you down easily. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the thing is, you're not doing anyone any good if you know that you can't work with them. That's mm. the thing, is it's not going to do either of you any good. I mean, occasionally if someone's on my course and they're just driving everybody nuts i'll just say to them listen you know my course is i'm I'm not the right teacher for you my course isn't right for you i'm, I'm going to give you money back <laughs> just don't come on my course now and mess about so you get the money back uh, but i do um i do just think that there isn't any point in pushing that is there mm. it, it, it's difficult if you if you if you find someone that you have a personality clash with then that's always going to be an issue but you've got to find a way around it essentially it's business yeah because you've still got to be professional and bump into them at oh, some point. Oh, yes. Never get caught bitching about other acts or bookers, particularly promoters. People do some crazy... You sometimes see stuff on Facebook go blah, 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 about a promoter and you think, oh, my God, have you forgotten that the that promoters are actually seeing your stream coming up, the, their feeds coming up and your feedback's in there. Yeah. That's a crazy thing to do. I never understand why people do that. Well, I, I, uh, are you a member of the Comedy Collective? Um, I don't think so. No. I, I admin a group on Facebook. It's got about seven and a half thousand members. Oh, is that in yours? Comedy yeah, Collective. Yeah, the Comedy Collective. And the amount of times I have to sort of DM, I've stopped it now because I can't be bothered to uh, babysit people. Yeah. But the amount of times I was DMing people, I'll do it to a friend. But if someone like you know, there's a thread going on about something, and they'll yeah. go, "Oh, this promoter dicked me around," and you're like. They're in here, by the way. Yeah, sure. Like I've got, I've got people like Steve Bennett in. There. I've got people from TV companies in there, and you're like, do you really want to? I mean, like, yeah, there's being opinionated, and there's like, you know, yeah, having. But just don't stand- do it on Facebook. Yeah, don't do it on Facebook. It's, it's, it's in writing. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it privately amongst other people, then do. But I, I think it's a difficult one. You just whatever your thoughts are about people in the comedy business, if you're trying to do it professionally, just keep it between you and a mate, or keep it between you and your partner. Just 
don't put it, don't splash it all over Facebook because quite often um, comedians have made friends with the promoter that they then bitch about. And also, you have to remember that it's a very small circuit, isn't it? It's mm. tiny, and people are always going to be delighted to come and tell you something horrible that somebody said about you. Yeah, delighted to report that. Yeah. Um, so just be careful. There's no need to make enemies. That's not going to help you. Well, no, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's that maturity thing and it's the business mind again. But like you said, yeah. like, like I said to you off, off the recording There's again. loads that we didn't record. You're not hearing half the stuff oh that God, we didn't record. Oh, God, it's like two hours. Oh, of my <laughs> God, so much that you now don't know. Uh, and it was a secret to being funny and everything, but what are you going to do? <laughs> well, yeah, we covered that. Yeah. Well, let's keep that a yeah, secret, shall we? Yeah. You, you go on a course, you'll find out. <laughs> well, um, maybe. I, <laughs> no, well, I was just saying that uh, the bottom end, where like you're starting out all the open mic circuit, yeah. particularly in London, uh, they're a bitchy people and yeah. they tend to be people who are jaded or they've had a bad experience yeah. or or they're just frustrated because yes. they're, they're not able to do the business side and therefore they're not realizing why they're moving up because a lot of the time a comedian who's really good hasn't got the the motivation to push themselves or go up or, or do admin or, or or even try and find new gigs you know a lot of the time they'll just be like oh wherever you gig they'll try and book there yeah. and you're like pick the gigs you want unfortunately do. that's in order to make it as a comedian you do have to be able to do those things there's a lot of agents that won't take um comedians on who haven't actually proved by them watching them for a while that they can get their own gigs and make their own progress otherwise essentially you're taking on a child yeah, and that's and that's not going to work for a good business. It's a partnership, you and an agent. It's a business partnership, and um, you can't get into that with somebody who who is just too um, too hopeless, really. Which is a shame because ah, oh, you meet wonderfully talented people that are just fabulous, but they're just not going to be able to get it together to get very mm. far. They need too much. Yeah, they just need too much. That's always a disappointment. Actually, sometimes I work with people who are just amazing, but they can't. They, they, they can't kind of get it together beyond that. Or you get people that are very efficient, work hard, do all the stuff, but they haven't got the same talent as the other person. And kind of the ideal person is the the ideal comedian would be the one who's got all that latent talent and potential and who listens and who has got some sense of how to do the business and whether they hate doing the admin and stuff or not, they will do it. So they will somehow work it all out. Yeah. I completely agree. There's a there's a little ongoing joke at the moment between some people on the on the circuit and me that I didn't like. I'm I'm not unhappy about, but I'm not happy about if that makes sense. That is, I'm only doing well at the moment because I'm good at admin. Now, <laughs> well, that can't be true. I know. Nobody I know book someone for their admin skills. No, I know. I know. Well, no, it's, it's Although a, it's sometimes impossible to book someone because they don't have any admin <laughs> skills. <laughs> yes. Well, no. The thing I find really amusing about that is is it's coming from people who are not doing as or or, or, or arguably not doing as much as they could do to do as well as I'm doing. Okay. And as a result, I'm like, if you want to waste your time with that joke, feel free. Yes. And While uh, they're wasting their, their time with that joke, you're getting all the bookings. Yes. But I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather be someone who is good at the business side and then work on the funny than not able to do the business side at all and be funny. Well, you've got to have the both. I mean, you can work on both sides, but you've got to ultimately have the both. I suppose the thing to find out first is, are you, fu- is, is, are you going to be able to do the funny? Yeah. Because if you're not going to be able to, I'm not talking to you personally, <laughs> but if someone is not going to be able to do the funny, like just does not have uh, the potential to become a comedian, and that, that can, I mean, who's to judge that? But I mean, eventually you, you'll realise. Um, so if someone doesn't have that, then there isn't any point in getting good at the other stuff, really. Mm. Y- you've got to be a new original voice that stands out, someone that actually has something new to bring to the table, you have to really stand out nowadays, don't you? There are, there are some really, really good 
people coming through really good and they really stand out. So unless you're in that league after a certain amount of time, then it's probably not going to happen. But there's nothing to say that you shouldn't keep going until you're really sure of that. It might just be that you need to follow a different path. I sometimes recommend people following a different path and that seems to get them there in a different way. I mean, you've talked to someone like Aidan Goatley, so... You, know, you can slog away trying to get the 20 minute spots and actually it might be that what you need to do is an Edinburgh show based on something you already have a love of like so he I knew he'd done a film degree uh, and I just said well why don't you do a one hour show in Edinburgh based on something your film knowledge bring that in that's something different and then he came up with the 10 films of my dad and then it ended up being a really you know mm. really successful which is fantastic and now he's getting all the bookings he wanted back when that idea came up so sometimes you just got to think a bit differently about how to move yourself forward yeah definitely Definitely. Um, you, you teach a comedy course, as you've mentioned. I do. And you've taught a, people like Aidan Goatley. Yeah. The, the wonderful, wonderful Aidan Yeah, Goatley. we love Aidan. We love <laughs> In this room, 100% of people love Aidan Goatley. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's uh, going to be delighted listening to yeah. this. I might have sent him an email going, ha, 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 only joking. <laughs> before gonna, he listens we do to the podcast. Well? Do it as well? both of us. We'll both do it before he listens <laughs> to the podcast. Be but like, we really hate you, but we hate. But like, we no. had to be nice because it was written down. Um, no, he's lovely. Um, but yeah, no. So, I mean, do you think then? I mean, I'm presuming the answer's pretty loaded here. But do you think <laughs> comedy or f- being funny can be taught? My philosophy on this, my view on this. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty odd years, so uh, I might have wasted twenty years of my life if, if. Clearly, if none of this can be taught, can I? And weirdly and, biz- weirdly and bizarrely, I've ended up with all these graduates saying that it did work for them. Um, I think the thing is that everyone essentially is quite funny. Uh, whether they can be a stand-up comedian or not is an entirely different matter. It's so completely different. So most people um, can be quite funny, can't they? I mean, sometimes people aren't funny, and that's what's funny about them. So I think the funny thing is kind of there. If someone has the latent ability... Um, has some kind of latent ability to be a stand-up comedian, I think what they can benefit from, and whether it's from um, doing a a good course or whether it's from, I work one-to-one with um, quite a lot of comedians, um, what they can benefit from is all the advice that um, I've been in the comedy business the whole of my adult life. So I have a lot of things that I can pass on to them that will save them a lot of heartache and primarily blowing their chances by doing dopey things they don't know are dopey things at that time. That's one of the major things. But also just taking someone through a course, just teaching them loads of stuff that saves them time and that helps them. What I'm really looking to do with people is capitalize on what they have got, draw it out and and help them use it and get them to recognize what it is and also get them to go a step further. I don't teach in that way of, it's really easy to teach people to write jokes. That's very easy to do. Teaching people to write great jokes, that's tricky. So what I'm really excited about doing is really kind of say, well, that's, yep, that's fine. That's that's a good punchline. That's a serviceable punchline. Can you go one step further? Can you make it tell us a bit more about you? Can you make this more original? Can you think of a real right turn that's plausible that we ha- that we won't have thought of already? And So I, I, I suppose I just kind of feel that's what's exciting. That's what's exciting about training comedians is helping them make the best of what they've actually already got in there and bringing it out um so many things that you can teach people that i can teach people really really early on that will stop them just messing things up and that will just make them better from the start really simple things as well as complicated things i mean just teaching somebody how to use a microphone makes them look stronger on stage that's a really small thing Mm. but actually teaching someone how to write stuff that brings out their own voice that's really true to them setting them off on a really good path i think that's really important so it's very easy to go off down the wrong path 
mm. um, and just write the usual generic bland done my joke book read my joke book pull back and reveal learn that you know all those kind of really standard generic jokes it's really easy to just do that but it's quite hard to unlearn it so what I tend to do is start off setting good habits in place right from the very, very beginning in the hope that a few years down the line, the people I've trained think it was all their idea, that, that innately they just knew how to do this because I want them to be confident and to hone their own instincts. So I don't know. You don't have to do a comedy course to get started. You don't I, – I, a lot of people – I do a lot of, sort of one-to-one work with comedians at those killer points like two years in, why aren't I progressing? I can tell you now, you're rambling. Uh, three, four years in, five years in, which agent? Uh, I've got to do TV, but I don't write my set down. Should have done that from the beginning. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that actually um, can just be really, really helpful. I don't know. I've been around a long time. There's a lot of experience. Um, I, it, passing that on and, and helping comedians to develop, and it's really exciting. It's really exciting working with great people. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And and the fact you eliminate the dickheads early, uh, knobs early, means that you only well, left with the nice people. <laughs> I don't eliminate the no- I mean, my comedy course has a fair old, the beginner's course um, at, the, at the Comedia on a Saturday afternoon. That just has anyone who wants to do it on it because that's just a, mm. that's a fun beginner's course. I mean, if people want to be comedians, they're in the right place. Um, but there'll be all sorts. The most extraordinarily eclectic bunch of people will be on that room, which is part of what I really like about it. Like, you would be meeting people and making friends with people that you will be lifelong friends with that you would never normally have met or given the time of day uh, if you come on that course. Um, and then it just kind of moves on from there that the advanced workshop, which rolls on every term, three academic terms a year, you know, break for Easter, summer, Christmas. That workshop is then for people who actually seriously want to give it a go, who want to just give it a go, who are going to gig. I mean, you have to get a five-minute set together and be gigging in order to stay in that group. Um, and quite a lot of the local new at nights in Brighton are actually run from by people who are in that group or who graduated from that group. Um, so I don't, I don't think you can ever eliminate the knob. <laughs> but you can hope to turn... You can hope... I mean, it's, it's, I've only ever asked two people to leave my course in ten years here. I think two, yeah. Low numbers, yeah. Yeah, and I've said it was just that I was the, not the right teacher for them. I mean, I, I get what you mean by going down the wrong path. So when, yeah. I, when I started, I, I was doing one-liners in a very deadpan style, partly because I did a comedy course because I was worried uh, I had stage fright. Uh, probably passed on from my parents who don't do public speech. They can't do anything. They couldn't even do their institution. Nothing. They, could, <laughs> they clearly did something at some point, however well, long you are, many years ago. I, well, <laughs> uh, what I meant was they, they couldn't even do their own speech at their own wedding. So mm. like they, they got someone. So they, that's how worried they are about talking in public. Aww. And I got over that quite quickly and I enjoyed it, but I carried yeah. on being deadpan. And I realized very early on that that's not me. Yeah, that's clearly. really important. <laughs> It's really important, though. I think often um, often people have an idea. You can hear it. Um, well, I can hear it if someone's trying out material. People have an idea in their head of the kind of comic voice or the kind of comic they want to be or should be. They have kind of an external idea of what sort of comedian they're going to be, which is the wrong way around. To find out the comedian you're going to be is it comes from inside. So it comes through your writing. And I personally think that you need to have a little bit of yourself in there. I'm not talking about it doesn't need to be desperately personal, but there needs to be... I mean, my view on it is you stand on stage, be yourself, tell people how you see the world. That, that's what I think stand-up is. It's just standing on stage, being yourself, and telling people how you're seeing the world. So it's your views on stuff. I think if, you, if the audience don't get to know a person standing up there, it's nowhere near as effective. So for me, 
it comes from the inside it comes from who you are it's not and quite often people have that voice in their head and you can see they're trying to conform to a comedian they've decided to be but it isn't the right one for them I, I personally think it's more important to find out the comedian you're meant to be a couple of years down the line, sometimes people have a mixture of the two in their sets, and you can see that there, is, there are two strands running through a set. Um, so sometimes that will be the generic and bland and the interesting and original, and other times that will be uh, a voice that isn't the right one and their voice. So it, sometimes the job is to work out which one of those voices is the one that they should be and which one they need to actually get rid of. Mm-hmm. It's quite a big thing. So you go through the whole set, go, right, if we cut out all of those you're left with this how does that feel um and and that can be a big change but it's usually the right thing to do yeah i i mean whenever i drop a joke i try and drop jokes every year just because i like to try and be on a cycle but i don't know Mm -hmm. if i'm going to be able to this year because i'm it feels very much me what i'm working on and it feels very personable and and i'm very emotionally connected to these jokes more so than i've ever been um and it it means it's easier for me to redo them every time yeah yeah but also an emotional i think that jokes Uh, not always but a joke with an emotional content is really nice because it's really satisfying I think for an audience because they feel something and see something hopefully uh, and get the humour I think that's I like the idea one of the things I love about stand-up is it's uh, humanity isn't it it's just the sheer humanity of stand-up and people just kind of bumbling around getting things wrong and and doing stuff I I just think that's that's really appealing so if there's no emotional content I don't think it works as well well, I mean, there, I mean, there are sort of slapstick and character acts and things like that that work just as well. But I know what you mean. There needs yeah, to be. Yeah, but they usually have some emotional content, don't they? Well, they they have a connection to the character or to what they're doing. Well, I mean, someone like John Kearns, that he's, I think he's got the most incredible emotional connection in his stuff. Watching his show, there's something. One of the things that I think John has done. So, I mean, I'm a big fan. Obviously, who isn't a big fan of John Kearns? Um, Okay, so some people may not be, but I certainly am. Um, the thing I love about what John does is it's it's really batshit mental. Like some of it is just like, what are you doing? But what I love about it is that there's a real vulnerability on stage. He's got an intense vulnerability on stage while doing stuff that's really nuts. And I think that's actually part of what makes his act work so well, is that there's a sense of, you know, his character... Is it a character, the wig and teeth? I don't know. But there is just some of his stuff is just very underdoggy, isn't it? Mm. He's got that whole section. My favourite joke of his is the one about the hand dryer. I haven't heard that one. Oh, it, I think it just sums things up. Um, okay, it, I can't do justice to this. You'd have to get John to do it himself. But it's something like, have you ever been ignored by... I think it's ignored by technology or ignored by a hand dryer. So you know, a guy in front of you, he's got his hands under it, everything fine. You go up, put your hands under it, Nothing. And then he just shouts, I am a human being at the hand dryer. And I just think, I don't know, that says a lot to me. I might yeah. be rambling myself now. No. Millions of people that I've worked with would be so delighted to be able to say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that, that to me is a great joke. Because I, I saw you on the BBC well, when you were doing some training on the BBC. And you were talking about how... Um, it's which, which, uh, which one? Comic Relief one? I... Let's say that. I didn't okay. that down. Well, as you tell me what you did, I'll, you, I'll You'll I'll have know. to remember your career now. Yeah. I've oh done God. a lot of research on you, um, okay. which is Thank code you. for oh Googling. Dear, that's <laughs> <worrying>. <laughs> yeah, Googling. Yeah, I don't do a lot of TV. I don't like doing TV. Oh, we can get to that in a minute. But you did, you did something with the BBC. Mm. Uh, it might have been Comet Relief. Um, I'll find the video clip. It's on your website, so it's one of those two. Yeah. Um, and it's not that much Googling. Um, no. but, it, but it was there, and, and you were talking about how um, the connection with the audience 
Uh, it was a person who was just in their first set, and you uh, oh, and you know. said that the connection with the audience is miles more important than how funny you think the material is right now. You're about to go on stage. You should be focusing on trying to make yes. a connection with them. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly the one you mean. Um, yeah, that was because it was someone who, um, I can't remember why we're doing it, uh, but she was doing stand-up once, just once for the experience, um, and she was very, 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 very nervous, quite understandably. And I think one of the things is, oh, it's just painful, isn't it, feeling really nervous? So it's really important to try and help people be less nervous mm-hmm. so that they're not just suffering. I wanted her to enjoy herself. She was really nice. Um, we had a really nice, it'd been a nice kind of journey. Um Yes, and what I said to her, I, I suspect, was uh, focus on your intention to connect with the audience rather than on being funny. Um, because firstly, that really does help you feel less nervous. If instead of going on stage going, oh my God, I hope I'm going to be funny, tonight's the night, you know, like, oh my God, they didn't laugh at the first joke and then just tanking. Um, if you just focus on your intention to connect with the audience, uh, it will get you to look at them uh, and to smile at them and to think about wanting them to hear you, which will slow you down. Um, and then if the stuff, then if the, then this, then the st- if the stuff's funny, it's funny, and if it's not, at least they'll like you. Um, but I was trying to get her to focus on something other than the pressure to go on stage and go, oh my god, I've got to be funny would be crucifying. But I find that works for me if I'm doing a big uh, corporate thing where I'm teaching corporate people how to use humour in their presentations and they are initially staring at me very, very sceptically with their arms folded. I just concentrate on my intention to connect and just looking around, talking to them, and eventually they just kind of start unfolding their arms. And, and I have had the situation where they've taken the tyres off, got the jackets slung over the back of the chairs, and they're all leaping up, telling me jokes spontaneously. But you know, you just got it. It's about nerves, I think. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I was once reviewed as uh, suppression of any personality made it hard to connect, but his jokes were great or something like that. Ah. And I took that I took that to heart, but I also took it on as a bit of a constructive thing because it was yeah. like, if your jokes are good, what's wrong with my connection? You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, the connection thing's quite tricky, actually. It means they haven't got um, enough of a personal element in them. Yeah. They're slightly too, is a joke, is a joke. Yeah. Rather than, look, guys, sometimes people do a setup. Comedians doing setup that appears to be telling the audience about something about them, and then the right turn, the punch, is something that's just obviously a joke. And audiences are always terribly disappointed by that. I think. Mm. Uh, uh, so if you get the lack of connection, is often to do with just the material hasn't got. It's too guarded sounding. It hasn't got. You're not sharing anything with the audience, so you're keeping up a bit of a wall between you and them. That's what it's usually about. Mm. No, it's it's very interesting because I mean it's something that I think, especially new acts and acts that are trying oh, yeah. to move up overlook they're like well I've got a funny set and you're like yeah you can stand up there and do that formula over and over again yeah. but if I don't feel connection with you I'm not going to look you up or follow you or try and no and they've got to feel a connection with you heart and soul um, I was at uh, the final of a competition and a couple of years ago at Edinburgh and I was chatting to a group of agents and I didn't really remember anyone that I'd seen on that final uh, except for the two people that did well in it they're the, the kind of joint winners and I couldn't work out why it was everybody was doing really, had very well-written jokes, they ticked all the boxes, but somehow they weren't memorable for me. And I was talking to um, some friends and saying, well, why was that? And one of them just said, you know what it was, is that none of them had any heart and soul. And I thought, God, you know, that's so true. They were just, they ticked all the boxes. Everybody's learned how to write jokes now. It's a pretty simple thing to do. They'd all worked out. Well, I don't want to, it's not a simple thing to do brilliantly. Sorry, professional comedians out there everywhere. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do well. But So everyone's just learned that kind of like joke format. I can write jokes. I can stand here. I can do the microphone. I can be still. Da, da, da. Um, but there was no heart and soul. And that was, oh, yeah, that was so right. That was so right. That's really important. So heart and soul 
that is about saying something that actually has some kind of connection with people that has some kind of some kind of emotional content even if you're just talking about something that's daft it doesn't matter as long as it's got some kind of visual or, or emotional content yeah, and that doesn't mean like you've got to bear your, you know. No, like no, no. Don't bear your soul. That's nobody. I, I mean, by emotional content, I mean just how do you feel about what you're talking about? It doesn't have to be um, something personal and bearing your soul. That that's that's not what I mean at all. But it's just that you, having some kind of emotion about what it is you're talking about. I think having some sense of wanting the audience to uh, to hear you. To uh, what do you want the audience to know that they didn't know when they walked in? What do you want them to look at differently? What do you want them to see in the way that you that you see it? Why are they wrong to be seeing it this way? It's that sort of thing. Mm. So if you have a strong, passionate intention to communicate your thoughts and ideas, then I think that's really engaging and really enrolling. And that gives your stuff heart and soul. Definitely. If you just go on stage and you're just telling jokes because you just want people to laugh, it, it can feel very soulless. It's not very memorable. No, but I mean... It the thing, the thing that I mean, I've been, I've been working on recently, and the thing that I've uh, found really interesting when I'm talking to people who are sort of at my level or a bit above or a bit below, you know, that kind of thing. I'm um, four and a bit years in, just for real own right. reference. Um, and it's, uh, we sometimes get confused. I mean, yes, you've got to have a distinct look in a way because that helps out, but it's not all about because a lot of people are trying uh, gimmicks at times, or, or they're trying yeah. to to stand out in ways that don't stand out with gimmicks. Stand out by writing amazing comedy. Stand yeah. up by being an amazing comedian. <laughs> that that's the only way to stand out is to be incredibly good at it. Yeah, well, to be brilliant at it. Yeah, you can you can be another young white middle class man and be amazing at telling a joke. Yeah. You don't just blend in if you're amazing. The point is that the, it starts with the material. For me, it starts with the material. It's, it's the actual type of material, the things that you're saying, what you're trying to get people to laugh about. If you are just doing quite soulless jokes, it's not going to stand out. If you're just doing the usual standard, what everybody else is doing around you, if you're all doing the same jokes, which can obviously happen, then of course you don't stand out. But the people who stand out are the truly original voices that just seem to, if you watch a new at night, they're the one that everyone just goes, whoa. And often you just think, oh, they have got a lot of potential. They don't know what they're doing at the moment, but oh. There, I mean, that's so exciting. There is nothing more exciting than that that time when you see that original voice. I mean, I remember so many of the ones I've seen where I've just gone, oh, ah, it's so, oh, just like that's it, that's 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 the act, um, and, and they just stand out because they're different. I mean, then they may not be amazing. They may just, and you may just think, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can take a risk on booking them or not because I've no idea if they're going to go down well or tank or what will happen to them in between now and when I put them on stage at Comic Boom. But I nine times out of ten, I'll give it a shot because they might. You you can't tell if I book someone to, to play Comic Boom. I can't tell actually sometimes what's going to happen to them in the meantime if it's six months away. And sometimes by the time they get to Comic Boom, they've done all the things that I would u- usually teach people not to do if they who are working with me like change the set entirely from so it's not the one i booked you know stuff like that um but it's lovely in class as well if i'm doing a course and someone gets up and i just think oh oh yes they've got something will we be able to get that out and turn it you know will it how far will they go will they do they have the personality you know that's uh it's got two questions out of that Sorry, yeah. no no it's fine because you covered so much um First of all, uh, I'd love to know some examples of some new people that you've seen that you, you love the work of. But two, um, when you said, because uh, so, so, whenever I get booked for a gig, I try and make a point in a nice way. I don't sort of say it like this unless I know the promoter. I will say, are you booking me 
to do the set you've seen or are you booking me because I can yeah. come down and do 15 minutes of whatever at that point in my career because obviously in yes. six months time I might have something else I want to do yeah, yeah, definitely. and you've not seen it yeah. so do you book people around a set you've seen or do you book people around the basis if I'm booking them because of the set that I've seen I'll tell them right so and, and that would usually be someone who's who I'm giving a five spot to and it'll be just some act that I've caught in some mad little club somewhere and, and I will say I, I that I, I want to, that's what I'm interested in um, but I don't want to limit them so if in six months time they haven't got the same set then they can that that's always going to be tricky generally I just book someone based on what I've seen um, and assume that they'll either do that or they'll be doing something similar but I've had a couple of experiences where they've done something completely different that was so different that just didn't work at all but, you know it's up to them, isn't it? They've got to develop. So if they develop off down the wrong path, not, if they're not working with me, it's not really my responsibility. <laughs> not much I can do about it. Um, the other comedians, I did have one guy that I booked, and I said to him, I booked you because of that set that you did. It was an amazing set. And the one that he did on my night was terrible. And he'd been sitting backstage saying to the comedians, should I do my new set? Should I do my different set? And they were all going, no, no, no. Whatever you do, don't do it. Don't do it. And he didn't listen to them. And actually, that's one of the other crucial things. Listen. Uh, only listen to people who are properly in the comedy business but listen so by properly in the comedy business I mean doing it for a living and getting paid to do it um, that's actually um, I must be clear that I credit that it's Sean Walsh who once said that and I thought that was a really good comment he um, obviously did my he did my course here at the Comedia um, and he used to drop in and chat to the comedians chat to the new new acts you know the, the, doing the, the, the course um, and I thought that was a great bit of advice to pass on to them Mm. Only, only listen to people who are properly in the comedy business. But I mean, these people that were backstage with this guy, some of them were, and I just thought, oh, what a shame he didn't listen. Yeah, because he could be booked there regularly now. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you've got to do what you're going to do, haven't you? You can't. Um, it's up to the comedian which way they yeah. develop and what they want to do. And you can't, you can't knock that. It may not be right for your club anymore, but that's up to them. So, who, who are some examples of people that you've seen recently? Maybe on your course, maybe not. Who you? Oh, there's so many good people that I've seen that have just maybe. Do you want to know top acts or newer comedians? Let's do a mixture. Let's do like a couple. Well, of I can tell you who played Comic Boom last month, and because they're okay, there was a couple of months, two months ago. So the March Comic must be March Comic Boom. What month are we? April. Okay, so forget that. I'm not good at maths. Just it's just comedy. Um, I booked I booked a lovely act called Chris Sav, who's a really niche act. And he is a musical act, and he only sings song about songs about food. Okay, and he did a song about making a lasagna. Uh, and in the warm-up, he did a song about porridge. He didn't do that in his set, but it was all like musical. Now, I don't. Chris said to me himself, I'm a niche act. But I just thought, what is not to love about a comedian that does a five-minute <laughs> set and only sings about food? I thought he was lovely. I th uh, I've got one quick question about him. Well, not about him, about the word niche. Because yeah. I think the word niche is used all too often to describe something that isn't funny by a comedian. Oh, no, I don't. Well, no, I think he's, I thought he was hilarious. No, no niche. No, no, uh, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about a comedian oh. who goes out, does a thing, and they go, oh, the reference now is too niche. They never get it. Oh, yeah, there's loads of different ways of comedians justifying not writing good enough material <laughs> or, or not accepting that actually that's not funny. Um, the other people I've seen, I mean, obviously, David Jordan and Ingrid Dahl are both graduates of mine who are coming through at the moment. And they are, oh, David Jordan did the most 
he played Comic Boom in December and he was just amazing. And this was shortly before he got nominated for Lester Mercury Comedian of the Year. Um, and he was just, he just blew me away. But what was so lovely was watching a, um, a, someone I've worked with a lot, you know, for a couple of years, I guess. I can't remember how long David's been around. But he kind of from the beginning right through to graduating. And that moment when I'm standing watching a graduate and I think, oh... And I get that they've clicked. That's it. They're a proper comedian now. It's like a kind of a click. And, and David doing that was an intense joy. And um, also Ingrid Dahl was nominated for Lester Mercury and was runner-up. Um, she is just magnificent to watch. There's, there's certain times when they're on fire. I mean, I can go back in time a little bit. Oh, um, I really enjoyed... I tell you, I really enjoyed Comic Boom last month. Um, Evelyn Mox got fantastic, hasn't she? She's just got fantastic so there are loads there are loads that I love I mean I love I love the up-and-coming comedians Barry Ferns compared for me last month at Comic Boom and he was wonderful I think he's a truly gifted compare Barry and that was just that was a great experience but I mean also Ramesh uh, Ranganathan who's one of my graduates compared Comic Boom this month and he was having the time of his life he was so happy he was back home you know, where he belongs, he's one of my resident compares, and he just, oh man, he was funny. He was just so, so funny. And Angela Barnes, uh, it's kind of a graduate, it's coming home time, she headlined and she was just on fire. So I could I could tell you thousands of examples of times when Dutch people are just on fire and it's just really exciting to see them. You can send me in a list. That's that's loads. Well I just wanted to know what you're like a rough idea of what you're looking for as, as a personal thing, but also for your clubs and all that kind of stuff. I'm looking for the I suppose for Comic Boom the interesting and the different. Really, they can't all be that, but I mean just really strong comedians that are genuinely coming through. So the level of um, who do I book a lot? I book Sophie Hagen, Evelyn Mock, Harriet Kensley, that level in the 10 spots, Masood Milas, Paul David Collins. Oh, I love Masood, yeah. Yeah, uh, Ingrid Dahl, David Jordan, Sam Savage, Dan Fardell. Um, just sort of new to the 10 spots, really, really strong. So those people are kind of in the 10 spot area. Um, I don't know if you know any of them, but look them up, find out. I've got yeah. pretty much every one of them on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, know them really well. They're, yeah. <laughs> so, they're, I mean, they're all people that play golf. In the five spots, I guess, five spots are harder in that there are a lot less people around in the five spots at the moment. There seems to, just somebody who stands out. It's a bit different. So Chris Sav, I found and thought was really funny. Who did I put? Um, the guy who won the um, Hackney Empire, Michael Strani, hmm. a.k.a. Daniel Duffy. I saw him somewhere and... I just thought the character act was really, really funny. And I really loved it. And then booked him for five at Boom and he was fantastic. So just, uh, I don't know, different. Mm. It's difficult to really describe what I'm looking for, but like good and <laughs> different. Not not standard, bog standard, pedo rape, uh, Facebook, uh, isn't it funny how, you know, when, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. So you're not in booking Dapper Laughs anytime soon. <laughs> I doubt very much he'd want to play Comic Boom. <laughs> it's not big enough for him. Not his, not his spirit. No. Um, yeah, so you know what everyone else is doing. Hmm. I mean, you know what the kind of the generic bland stuff looks well, like. Uh, it's not that. Pretty much every comedian thinks they are different and unique and, and an yeah. interesting voice. So, I mean, it's interesting for for, for me as a performer. Yeah. I've performed I've, I've the odd gig, but I've not really done it. So it's just interesting to hear your take on... Probably the best way to, to, to find out what I'm looking for at Comic Boom, probably for any club, would be to uh, go to the Comic Boom Facebook page. And actually, we have an advert for every single month. And if you just click on the ad, it's only like 30 seconds. It will show you who's playing it every month if you go back through those and see who's getting rebooked you could actually i think get quite a clear idea of 
uh, of the of the type of acts that that I'm booking. But I mean, I think most people know the names of the people who are coming through at the moment, so everybody knows who's getting good. I think I booked everyone that was in the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year final this year. I mean, those people are usually brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally, there's one that I don't know. Um, I think everybody knows the names of the people that are doing well, don't they? Okay. And in uh, going back slightly to the comic relief uh, show you did, because I found it really, I mean, I, I, want, I was wondering if you could expand on this, but you might have said everything you wanted to. But you said, and I found it really interesting, that when you swear on stage, oh, it has yeah. twice the power that it does off stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing was, yeah, I know exactly the clip you're talking about. The radio presenter guy, oh, man, we suddenly ended up having to do that on telly. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be a radio project. Um, yeah, okay. Also, the thing was, which they cut out, which they kind of edited. I mean, they were really sweet. The only reason I did that comment really thing was they were lovely, um, all lovely, and he was really sweet. The point is he was doing a gig for Comic Relief. <laughs> it's like it's not appropriate to it's not appropriate to swear if you watch the clip at the beginning he does that thing about just you know the answer to the secret to comedy is swearing and then he does a joke with loads of swearing in it which he just kind of landed on me when he arrived at my house and that just isn't appropriate for the gig mm. you know this is comic relief you want people to give money for children and stuff you don't some bloke standing there swearing is like oh no that's just not appropriate um but yes uh, generally i think the thing with swearing is you i noticed that actually comedians that have been going for a couple of years suddenly go through a little Tourette's period where they just swear all the time and then they have to stop doing that and they get over that and then they're all right again. But it's like it kind of kicks in after a couple of years and they can't stop it. Swearing is very powerful on stage because you're standing on stage with a microphone under lights and people are listening to your words and if your words are concise enough and you're not rambling, you're actually just saying only the words you mean, only the words actually appropriate to be saying... A swear word just seems really strong. So I think you have to tactical use of. It's tactical. If it's the whole set's peppered with the word, can I say swear words? Swear whatever you want okay. on this. <laughs> oh, no, this is terrible. Okay, so if the whole set is peppered with the word fuck, which is the most seems to be the most popular one, if you're just saying fuck every couple of words, eventually, actually, all the audience can hear, hear is fuck because you're saying it so often you wouldn't say and if you, well, for instance if you replace the word fuck so if you listen to what your five minutes set and you've said fuck about 20 25 times replace it with the word bicycle and then by the end of like the five minute set all the audience can hear is the word bicycle it's just the constant repetition of one word whether it's swearing or not swearing and it does it makes the audience go Oop, each time you do it hmm. i mean even in some big clubs it's not the same for all clubs but um, some very big clubs, the audiences complain about swearing. They just don't like it. I mean, I don't care one way or the other about swearing. But I, if you have a set full of swearing, the problem is that there's a lot of other words missing or you've just got one word repeated all the way through um, that it just gets tedious after a while. Yeah, I completely agree with all Like that. the word so. <laughs> Stop using it so much. Come on, everyone. <laughs> so. so. I went down to the so. Uh, that one. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's big, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I'm, there are words I overuse in this, and some people have messed me about it. But I'm not going to say which ones they are because I know that it will make more well, people let listen them out do to it. Their you know podcast, I mean? and then yeah. you can laugh at the words they overuse. <laughs> That's all right. Everybody's human. I know. Well, yeah. So basically, <laughs> every time I say that now, it's going to make me worry that you're thinking I'm saying it to I'm not thinking anything. It's, I promise. No, well, that's don't do think. I mean, well, I'm <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm just, li I'm just whatever you're throwing at me. I'm just going okay. Think okay. about that. Well, no, I mean, because uh, for me, strategical swearing is fine in comedy. Yeah. But I, there are so many comedians out there. I mean, that particular joke that guy worked on, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. There's show notes on the thing. I'll link to it in the show notes. I found it funny because it was so 
stupidly offensive for no reason at all. Yeah. That it was fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you make something so yeah. ridiculously offensive... I think it, you found it funny, but I don't think I the audience... I not funny at the audience, no. Yeah, I was going to say, the kind of audience that would be watching Comic Relief that they would be hoping... Again, it's business, isn't it? They're hoping those people give them money. The, that kind of audience wouldn't have found that funny. But it was it was very funny in the programme, I think. The way mm. he did it was very funny in the programme. I think that worked really, really well. That was the right place to do that, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was a bit of a swearer, bless him. I mean, I thought they did that very funnily in the programme later on. They said, and we finally got to him to cut the swearing. Um, he was keen on the old swearing. I don't know why... <laughs> Yeah. I think it's just that I sometimes find with the course as well that people suddenly feel this terrible urge to, if you teach someone gag writing format and say, okay, um, have a go at, at writing a gag using this. Um, so they all go off and write a joke. If you don't give them any other instruction than, okay, just write a joke using that, um, everybody will quite often just say the rudest, grossest, most appalling things they can think of. It's like a sort of um, human nature release thing. And I think that's actually really important for everyone to get that out of their systems. <laughs> it's like, get that out of your system, and now let's write some good jokes. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of what it is. There's a kind of, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a childish element, isn't it? Like you're not allowed to swear when you're a kid, so you just want to swear as much as possible. I don't know. It's just, it's, I think it's irresistible. It's human nature. That if you lock 35 people in a room and said, write a joke, they would all write the worst thing they could think of, probably. Yeah, yeah. Grossest, you know, filthiest, maddest. Yeah, it's like, it's like, giving, it's like giving you the green light to be rude. Yeah, but in actual fact... What it, and that's fine. That that's just a natural progression. But um, what you want to kind of do is go. Okay, that's what you're going to want to do. Uh, say all those things. Get those all out of your system, and then perhaps just you know, take a step further. I, I I spend a lot of time saying, okay, I'll take one step further. You know, mm. can you can you can you go beyond that punchline and come up with one that does this? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it would be a lot easier not to bother doing that, but then I would be ripping people off. Well, also, <laughs> it doesn't make good comedians if you don't do that. No, and that's what matters to me the most. Uh, I will stop teaching if I stop caring about the quality of the people that come out of my course or I stop caring about actually really doing the best I can actually do for every single person that walks in the door. I mean, that's what matters to me, hearing, finding their voices and really helping them and watching the transformations and knowing that I've done the best job I could for that group of people. That I that that's really important to me. If I stop feeling like so, I don't teach too much. I only run two beginners courses a year. I only do two of everything, um, and one of some things, uh, so that I remain really excited about it, really excited, really passionate about it, and really connected to it. And I can really give my time and attention to what I'm doing. If I stop feeling like that, then I should stop teaching. It makes perfect sense. I, uh, I I was on Logan Murray's course. Oh, Logan's a fine He's man. He's awesome. Yeah. And he uh, he had pretty much the same ethos, as you, except he does a lot more courses. He had the same ethos where he was just like, topper, let's see if we can get a topper to that. Let's see if we can add one more to that. And it was really nice because it meant that by the end of it, we all had like fives by, or four or fives by the end of it. Yeah. But we all had jokes that we had this bit on top that kind of made it better than just that yeah, gag absolutely. writing format. Well, I think that's the thing. Uh, there's an awful, awful lot of comedy courses around, and I don't know if I could give anyone advice on how to check them out. There's an awful lot of lying on websites around as well. Um, but, you know, if you are thinking about a course, just talk to people because there's a couple of people who really care, and you want to be doing a course with someone who cares and who hasn't made made stuff up. But the thing, the thing is, if if I'm not in the industry so before I started yeah. I rang Logan because he has his number on his website and said hey can we talk for a minute and he was like yeah let's talk, let's talk. I'll get some time <laughs> he was so lovely yeah, and, and the reason I did his course partly because it was near me um, was because he said you don't have to do it 
Like yeah. you can go and book an open mic if you really want to. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I think I think it was either him or one of his graduates at like an event said. Yeah. Uh, after a hundred gigs, if you do the course, you'll be you you will take you ninety five gigs to get to gig a hundred, rather than a hundred gigs to get to a hundred gigs. Of Some people, yes. <laughs> yeah, not every, I mean, No, it's not a guarantee. Yeah, no, nor is mine. No, none of us can offer a guarantee. No, no, I mean, no course can offer you a guarantee. It takes an entire comedy circuit to raise a new comedian. Uh, so none, nobody can claim that they were the one thing that made a comedian. I mean, none of us do either i mean it's just i i'm privileged to have been there at the start of some people's careers and logan the same uh i think we all kind of recognize that it takes the whole it takes a whole circuit to raise a comedian so there's a lot of people along the way that are going to have to get on board for that one comedian to get through uh and including the comedian themselves sometimes but it's just that you don't have to do just if you want to get started get started if you want to if you don't like people or you don't like working with people don't do a comedy course if you're really like notoriously not a team player don't do a comedy course because you'll hate it uh, but if you do like working in a group and you like that kind of stuff and you think oh, I'll give it a shot then 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 that might be nice for you but just check it out check them out really carefully I think word of mouth's the most important thing yeah, definitely. So wherever you are, I mean, inevitably you'll do one kind of in your location usually. But um, it's a difficult thing at the moment, I think, because there are some, yeah, there are some great ones. Something that really resonated, with, well, interested me and resonated with me was when you said uh, people book one-to-ones with you yeah. at certain milestones. That's become a huge part of my work, actually, now. Okay. Because you said um, at the two-year mark where they're like wondering when they're going to get, you know, yeah. how, how they're not moving up and when they're going to do TV and all that stuff. It sounds like um, and, and averages are not a good idea because, you know, you average out people and, and it, you know, the law of numbers mean that if you take enough people, an average means that nothing actually is an average, if yeah. that makes sense. But it sounds like from your experience, there is a career path for people that are trying and working hard. And a lot of well, there's a career path for people that I net are talented and destined to be comedians who are also working hard. I mean, hard work and dedication and persistence will get you a long way. If you don't have the innate talent, unfortunately, it's only going to get you to a certain level. But maybe you'll be okay at that level. I mean, maybe that's the most that you want to do. I mean, to be a working job in comedian is a great thing if that's what you want to do. Um, yeah, you've got to have everything to get right to the top. Mm. I mean, you want to get right to the top <laughs> I don't know what the top is but I'll think about it like the top uh, yeah the work hard the persistence but there has to be the talent as well yeah there's a I've got a friend of mine in London he um, he's a he's a pubbing comedian but he makes good money and yeah. he goes he goes and does the same 15, 20 depending on what he's yeah. booked for and he's fine with that yeah and absolutely I think, that's great though but that's who but that's who he is and I think and, yeah. he, and he doesn't want fame or whatever but he I mean he, he would like his own audience who wouldn't yeah that's but, nice though yeah. everyone's got to find their own thing they want to do don't they I mean hopefully not everyone wants to be famous that, that's going to drive you nuts wanting to be, if everyone wanted to be famous that would drive them nuts yeah I think that's ruined a lot of other industries like music and stuff where everyone just wants to be famous yes that's not good I think I remember some I mean wanting to be the best comedian there is is a different thing I think that's probably a stronger aim if you want to be a comedian wanting to be a brilliant comedian that, that, that's really probably where to aim for and then wherever that takes you it takes you but if your journey is to just be the best comedian you can be like you want to be a comedian that badly you want to be a brilliant one that's going to take you where you want to go anyway probably mm. no definitely but I mean how do you define the best then because obviously sub- humour is so subjective I don't know um, the best <laughs> but aim for that <laughs> well 
You know if you're a brilliant, well, you know if you're a really successful comedian, don't you? Because you've got a really great agent and you're on telly and you're earning lots of money and you've got opportunities. That's the thing that success brings you, opportunities to do lots of other stuff. So, um, but if you just want to be be a brilliant comedian, I suppose, what is a brilliant comedian? A brilliant comedian, it's completely subjective. It's completely subjective, but... Um, someone that makes people laugh and gets paid for it and does work that they themselves feel really happy with. Like that? <laughs> Off the top of my head, that's what I'd say. No, you, it might change next week, but that's, that's what we're going no, for now. I quite like that, yeah. Okay, I, mean, I think that probably works. Okay. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Okay. Good question. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, you. So, like I said, you, you've, you've worked with some people for their shows rather than their yeah. club sets, as it were. Yes, I do usually every year do the Edinburgh Fringe show stuff, the solo shows, mm. from first to something notorious second, uh, third and upwards. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, also, I see people do the Brighton Fringe quite often as a trail point. So I do a thing that I'm doing this fringe where I go and see their show, do feedback, and then we follow it up with the two-hour session and then they get my feedback and then they go on to Edinburgh and we kind of repeat it again in Edinburgh to an extent. So, yeah, I do do that. And can you define, I mean, it's, it's obvious when you see it in a show, but can you define what the difference between an hour of jokes yeah. and a well-formed show, comedy show, is? Well, yeah, I think I have quite a strong opinion about that. I think there isn't any point, this is just personal, please don't anyone be offended, but I don't think there's any point in doing an hour of stand-up unless... You are a top comedian right at the top of your game that can sell an hour of stand-up to an audience because the people who can do an hour of stand-up without it actually just getting a bit hard going, it's hard to keep people engaged for, well, it's 50 minutes essentially an hour show, isn't it? It's very hard to keep people engaged for that amount of time. It really is. I personally think the best route for a show for a long time is a proper show so it needs to have a point what is the point of your show uh what are the audience going to find out during that 50 minutes that they didn't know before or what are you going to kind of explore and invite them to explore with you i think it needs to be properly structured myself for a show to, and especially if you're newer and you haven't gotten uh, enough stand-up to do uh, think of other interesting things are you going to use visuals are you going to have a blow-up pig in your show are you going to have a flip chart are you going to do something just interesting that that, that shows creative Creativity and innovativeness rather than just you standing plowing through 50 minutes of material so I think structure is very very important so I usually break shows down into chunks and then talk about each what each the, the point of each chunk what what they want to achieve and what the overarching theme of the show is what's the show about so how do all these chunks hang off this overarching theme so um yeah I'm, I'm kind of strong on that because I think of a strong structured show you've got lots of room to then actually create something really interesting that has some kind of uh, meaning as a show um, and you can develop it a lot more than if it's just you rambling for 50 minutes. So in terms of chunks, like obviously they can vary in size and length and whatever, but I mean, I assume... Uh, there's like a start, middle and end kind of chunk that are the standard ones but I mean is it is it like uh, I mean it will uh, vary by show I'm, I'm more than aware of that yeah but <laughs> I mean there are I mean there are some shows that take you like on an emotional journey where it's like through from something in their life and there's some shows that take you uh, are not it's quite like that but there's like layers to them and then these two like paths come together at the end yeah. I mean what's your well the reason why you break it up into chunks is because it's easier to write it a chunk at a time so quite a lot of people go oh my god I've got a whole show to write I go okay let's break it up into chunks and then just come back with three and then four and then five so just you build it 
a step at a time. So if you're building it by in 10 five-minute sections, uh, it's a lot easier, isn't it, uh, if you're doing that? Uh, yes, it's got to have a beginning and a mi- middle. I mean, the end, the beginning, the end of the two really important things. What What are you setting up? What's it about? And at the end, how do you conclude it? It's got to, you've got to actually conclude what it was you set up. I divide it up so that there's an overall thing. Um, I'm trying to think how to describe it. Um, uh, well, 10 films with my dad is actually quite a good example in that it is inherent. I don't want to, I don't know whether Aidan would mind me deconstructing a show, but if you think about 10 films with my dad, each film has a point in the emotional journey of him and his dad. So he tells you something about, uh, something about his relationship with his dad in connection to each of those films, and it makes a point. And then, the, and the journey through the show keeps making different points about his relationship with his dad until you get to the end of it and then it all comes together his relationship with his dad so he sets up that you know that's how him and his dad communicated and at the end you get that brilliant I'm not going to blow it you've got to go and see it I'm not doing a spoiler but it's that that was quite easy to work on structurally once once we got that structure sorted out so in any show you're doing it needs to have some kind of a journey. So if each chunk makes a point towards the end journey, you set it up at the beginning, this is what we're doing, this is what I'm going to prove by the end, or this is what I'm going to have explored by the end. Uh, if each, ch- each chunk can be a question that you're posing that you answer at the end of the chunk, or each chunk can be uh, a stage on the journey, uh, and you make the point about what that stage is. At the end it's of very the yeah, yeah yeah it's difficult to say <laughs> this just sounds like I'm talking complete nonsense so if we had an actual show in front of us I would say okay that's that's how you do it um, I should have brought my script and you could have just had a I go I was going to say yeah then I could have actually said right okay what you need to do is more chunk chunks that's the key uh, it's just that each each section section let's change the section each section of your show if it's making a point or covering a point that backs up the overarching theme of what it is the show's about so whenever I say to people what is your show about you do actually need to have an answer like what is your show about mm. it's not just um, I don't think it's just oh it's 50 minutes of me being funny it's like well yeah but what's it about I think those are the strongest shows the ones that are about something and each section in the show backs up or illustrates a point or creates a new question about the theme that they're exploring in the overarching theme and then concludes it at the end no idea if any of that makes well, no, no, no. sense. It, it, to me, that made it, it, sod all of you. To me, <laughs> to me, that made sense because I I did a show last year, last minute, uh, and I had seventeen jokes that were all disconnected that I'd written over the last year, and I was desperately for about a month before the fringe trying to make it into some sort of narrative or have some sort of loose uh, segue between each joke. And in the end, what I did was I wrote down all the jokes on a set list and I got audiences to yell out a number and then I just did that joke. And it was like a really nice interactive... Oh, that's an interesting idea. Like, yeah, it's, I, I had a lot of fun with that and, it, yeah. and I changed the numbers around like every so couple of days. So it's interesting. Yeah. That's the thing is it's different and interesting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But it also meant they didn't keep track of the fact the jokes weren't linked. Because because they've picked different numbers, they don't know that they could have been they could have been one long show there. And it sounds like you're talking about topics rather than jokes, like a couple of jokes uh, on one thing. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But well, that was, sounds good. And this, oh, thanks. I'll send you a link. It's online. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I look forward to seeing yet another show. <laughs> uh, well, no. What I did was I recorded it and then I cut it down into chunks. And now there's one. We've got to change that word chunks to sections, haven't we? Because it's just getting ridiculous. Well, no, it now. makes more sense for chunks. And now, like, I'm sat and there's like numbers around me, and you can click the number. Yeah. So it's like you're picking your number online. I like and that. And I'll take you to the video. See, there you go. So you had separate chunks. Yeah. Yeah, you knew how long each bit could last in order mm. for it to make 50 minutes. So presumably they're each... If you had 17, what, do you have, like, two? Uh, it depends. Some of, some of them are very short jokes, some of them are very long jokes. Oh, okay. So the longest joke was about seven and a half minutes long. So okay. you can imagine how long it's short some of the other ones were. So that sounds like a topic, though. There must be more than one punchline in that if it was seven oh, minutes yeah. long. Okay, so you're actually talking about a topic. Just picking you up structurally. Sorry, Simon, but no, I have no, to. No. Um, so a joke is one set at one punchline. So it sounds like if something's seven minutes long, that's a short seven minute set, or seven seven minutes yes. on one topic. What was the seven minutes about? Uh, well, so let's do the five minute one because seven minute one's a little bit okay. harder to explain. Right. Okay. I had a joke. I had a joke about getting a new job at a, at a place, and uh, the idea was that they said it, they said that it was um, that the boss needed to meet me, and I said, "Oh, it's a bit like in Jurassic Park where." Uh, John Hammond likes to be there for the birth of all the new dinosaurs on the island and then I reenacted the whole conversation where I keep trying to talk about Uh, dinosaurs and they keep trying to and then the end I reveal I work at the Natural History Museum and Uh, it's a really long it's a really long set but it's so that is either a joke that's way too long it's way too long or it's a joke that or it's it's got lots of punchlines all the way through it in which case it's a topic but it sounds like a story it's a little bit of a story. It's got dialogue in it as well. Yeah, it's a little mm. bit of a story, but it's got it's got punchlines mm. through it because. Well, that case in that case, it's not one joke, is it? But the thing is, they're not they're not traditional punchlines. So the the joke doesn't matter if they laugh. It's a punchline. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the, all that's required. The juxtaposition between my boss trying to ask me about my previous work history and me trying to talk about velociraptors is it gets increasingly they're they're getting more impatient. And so, I'm but there's laughs annoyed. all the way through the topic. Yes. Yeah. yeah so that is then one section of material about something uh, okay. that's got a lot if it's got lots of punchlines a, 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 a joke is one punch is one set up one punchline one laugh right but if there's lots of laughs through that section then that is in fact a topic or a short set right okay <laughs> no so, no it's, it's structurally but it sounds like a story with dialogue in it mm. It I'm is. Not sure. it, 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 not sure. I'll send you a link. Okay, I'll have it. I'll reserve. I'll reserve judgment. Uh, no, you don't. Have, have you done to. acting? Uh, no. Okay. I don't. I don't consider myself a particularly good actor, so I, I don't. Good, good, good. No, that's fine. I'll just checking. Why? Quite often do actors. Uh, actors quite often do stories with lots of dialogue in. No, I. A lot uh, of people start off that way. Yeah, I have. A, I have a few friends who are actors or are actors, but do comedy as well. And I do get a little bit annoyed when they say, "Oh, I do comedy as, like, as well," and you're like, 
you can't ride this many horses with one bum. You know, like you need <laughs> you need to uh, focus on this if you can. I mean, you can be a, a funny actor like, and focus on those, but I I just mm. the and I suppose when you get to a certain level in comedy, you get offered acting jobs because people assume you're funny. Oh and yes, you can act. absolutely. But I don't like the fact that's used as a sideline to get into acting necessarily. I think the thing is, once you get to the point where you're well known, people will offer you all sorts of opportunities, and uh, that's exciting. One way or another, you might want to end up acting, and you might want to do a sitcom, or you might want to do panel shows, or create your own thing. I mean, that's what it's why it's worth it all, isn't it? At the end, the op- it's about opportunities, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Apart and from the initial one to change your life, yes, <laughs> to become a famous comedian, change your life. Not famous. We're not. We're not going. No, we don't like famous. Okay. (laughs) I was trying to think how to say that. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I suppose I get quite worried by people watching live the Apollo and thinking, well, people who've only ever watched um, watched comedy on telly, uh, and so they think, oh, that yeah, I could do that. That that looks that looks interesting. That looks fun. Um, And then they just want they then that's they think that that's kind of it. They get a terrible shock when they actually start going to New, but they don't go and see live comedy. I don't. I don't understand how you want to be a comedian with never having seen live comedy. I mean, that's that just seems the most bizarre idea to me. When when people turn up my course, I give them a give them a handout of all the local new at nights, and every week we say, right, which ones everyone going to, or the big nights. So they come to Crater, they come to my night, they go to the little ones and stuff. I go, right, okay, where's everyone going this week? And everyone goes to comedy every week. And I kind of instill that because otherwise, um, well, firstly, they have to go to all the little nights that they are going to want to play at some point. So if you don't support the little nights, do not expect them to support you. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, and they're nice little nights, so they get a real good feeling for the circuit here. But I don't, it's bizarre that you could want to be a stand-up comedian having never seen it live, isn't it, do you think? Yeah. How can <laughs> that's like missing out the actual thing? <laughs> that's like I don't know what I can what I can compare that to, but watching stand up on telly is fine. It's great. I mean, it's really nice that people do that and um, they get decent money for it, and people who wouldn't normally see comedians see them, and I think that's really important. But um, oh my goodness, they've just missed the whole thing if they haven't been watching live stand up comedy. That's you've got to see it live, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's there, like, that's the point. There are some comedians who, like, I, I've heard their life story or, or their career story, and they always take pride, usually if this is their story, they always take pride in the fact they say, oh, it was the first time I stepped in a comedy club when I did my gig. And you're like, really? why? Yeah, oh my like, God, but then how did you know you wanted to do it? Yeah. But they always like, oh, I was really nervous. I was like, I'd be fucking nervous if I turned up at a builder's site yeah. for the first time and I was going to drive a big rig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How bizarre. Oh, you've got to go and find out what it is. Because the difference between watching live at Polo comfortably in your armchair and going, oh, yeah, I could do that. that I, yeah. And, and walking into a new at night where there's um, the audience is three people and a dog and uh, one of them is heckling. Uh, that That's the reality of where you start. But those brilliant nights where things just... Things just aren't what they should be. I don't know. The thing I love about the thing I love most about stand up is when things are just things aren't happening. Things are happening bizarrely, or like things are just doing their own thing. I once ran a night at Comic Boom where I just thought I've lost control of what's happening with the show. I'm just going to sit down and let it be what it wants to be. It doesn't happen often, but it was just a night where I just felt that. I've just not, I, I haven't got a grip on this show. I'm going to let it do its own thing. And it was one of my favourite nights. I mean, Pappy's fan club were, he- were headlining, and I'm not in any way blaming the Pappy's for the madness that ensued that night. But, you know, it certainly adds when you've got wonderful people like that on it. 
they nicked Nick Helm's guitar stand and someone who was it was when Ramesh was still doing fives um, so a while ago uh, and somebody did a ten when they should have done a five and I, I know Tom was wrapped in cling film at one point and I just thought I should keep control of this I'll keep the brakes coming and going but I'm going to let them have this I love that. Yeah, it, it makes a moment. Like, it makes something oh different. Oh, God, yeah. Ben Tarjay, um crowd surfing at Comic Boom. Nobody had warned me that he crowd surfed. And as he crowd surfed, the staff were like, health and safety, health and safety. What if he drop? What if somebody drops him? There was a complete panic. And the compo was going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I was just like, okay, there's nothing we can do. He's in the middle of the room. If we all start panicking, they might drop him. Let's just let it happen. It was amazing. So I didn't know he did that. Nobody warned me. It's those things, isn't it? It's when things just, I don't know, just are bonkers or just something happens that's different or, I don't know, a comedian doing brilliantly or a comedian that doesn't die dying. It's, oh, you've got to see it live. I, pre- I presume when you booked Ben, you didn't book him for another set then because you were like, you, you hadn't oh, seen I did that book him. I did book him again. No, no, no. Cause you, oh, didn't book him for a different set. No, no. Yeah. What happened was James Acaster was supposed to be on that night and uh, James had to pull out and so he sent Ben instead. I, got, I wouldn't normally be up for that, but James just said he's brilliant and it was right last minute. So I'd never seen Ben, but I took it on James's word that Ben would be good, that Ben Mataja would be great. And he was great. I mean, he subsequently did, um, I booked him to do um, the Eindhoven Comedy Festival when, we used to, when I used to uh, book a night at that. And he was great because <laughs> very visual. Mm. A very large tavoloy down his trousers for a large amount of, his, of the show, I seem to recall. Um, that's, that is exactly what it means. I'm not doing innuendos. Uh, <laughs> it was a massive, I think that's a photo of it on my website somewhere. Um, yeah, so I mean, the thing, it's, oh, it's got to be live, hasn't it? I mean, mm. isn't that the whole point of doing it and wanting to be involved in it? And, uh, and the whole thing is the stuff that, that just isn't perfect. That's what I like, because on telly, of course, everything's been edited, so you're receiving an edited version of what that act was like on the night. And I'm not criticising that. that. That's important for TV. But actually, if you'd watched that there and been there on the night, all sorts of things could have happened that you've missed because you're watching it on telly. Mm. I'm, I'm recording my final performance in Edinburgh this year, and I've decided Great. I'm going to set up a camera and set up something that proves that it's done in one take because mm. I want it to, I want people, and I, I don't know how I'm going to, I think there's like those like markers you can do that like, you know, like if it, if it fucked up, like a timer or a marker or something like that. So that if it fucked up, it'd be so hard to edit it around. It wouldn't work, which know. means I have to have it in one take because I, I it's not going to be as good as it is live. I hope. Um, but no, it, it won't be. No, that's a no- notorious problem of um, filming, isn't it? That you can't get the exact, you can't get that exact feeling. I was worried about clips with that. Um, with Comic Boom, we film everybody. We film all the acts that do Comic Boom so that the newer ones particularly have got a clip. I mean, we delete them. Uh, we don't keep them or do anything with them. It's just to give them a clip of playing a nice big night. But I always worry that does that capture it well. But it seems to work quite well there. But maybe it's just because they've got quite nice facilities. Um, but I don't think you can capture what something was on film, no. even when you're like doing it at a really big, in a really big kind of TV studio style thing. I think it's very difficult. Uh, at a bigger level to that, I mm. I mean, for me, something I do a lot is I live through my phone, my little screen in my phone, and and I and that's and I've realised recently that that is so bad because it means that I. A, I'm not with the moment and I'm not with the people I'm with. But B, I can't, when I relive it and I show people, and I go, hey, look at how much fun I was having. Was I? I was yeah. on my phone the whole time. I didn't even, I can't even tell you who was with me except the people who were in the photo. 
Yeah. And it's and it's awful because you can't recreate it through what happened. You need to just enjoy what's there. No, you absolutely can't, can you? I think oh, if you're not going, if you're listening, you know, anyone who's listening to this is going to like comedy, aren't they? So yeah. I don't mean if you're listening, anyone in general. I'm sure people are listening. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'd love it if nobody downloaded your episode. Like if this got zero. <laughs> that's all right. Aiden, except Aiden. Well, Aiden. Yeah, Aiden will because we we've said we love him. Um, oh God, no. Uh, I don't know if anyone wants to listen to me rambling on, but I, but it's just the idea that anyone who would be listening to this is already going to see live comedy, aren't they? So mm. they already know they ought to do that. Yeah, my my audience is, or for my audience for this anyway, is uh, predominantly comedians, performers, uh, like outside of comedy, um, and I get I've been getting an increasingly large number of emails from people who are like just comedy fanatics who oh. just want to know how the back end of it works and oh, they want to okay. know more stuff about. It. So and that feels really good because they're the audience I want for my show. So I'm right. hoping that it'll. Uh, I mean, you don't know. But at least they know I exist. Well, they're quite often the people that end up running good things or coming up with great ideas yeah. on the kind of business side. Mm. So really important. I mean, you need everyone in the business. You don't you need beyond just the... It's not just comedians and promoters, is it, as well? It's comedians, promoters, agents, and then there's all sorts of other people, like yeah. all around all of that, that do all sorts of other jobs that are really important as well. Yeah. So in short, they're probably going to live comedy. And yeah, they're, they're definitely going to like, oh, hell, they're going yeah. to live comedy. Yeah, I, those I guys are. They're not coming to my live comedy, but they're... <laughs> well, hopefully some of them will now they've listened to this. You know that I've ranted on it. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Don't bother if you don't want to. Um, but okay, so so in terms of, uh, I mean, show structures obviously means a lot to you and it's, and it's important well, in general. But okay. I think, it, I think, yes, okay, sorry. It's just that I think it's helpful the newer you are, the more, of, if you have a proper structure, it just indicates that you that you're creating a show. There's a difference between a show and 50 minutes of stand-up. There's, that's the difference, isn't it? 50 minutes of stand-up is 50 minutes of stand-up. A show is a show. I think the, the two are different in my mind. No, definitely. I, and I'm really glad that you, you distinguish them like that. Because I, yeah. I do it a lot. And a lot of comedians who I talk to go, no, I've got an hour worth of material. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't have a show. Yeah, they're also, yeah, an hour's worth of material. Yes, exactly. An hour's worth of material is necessarily a show. It might be a fabulous hour's material. But it's very difficult to engage people for an hour. Or we both know we mean 50 minutes. It's mm. very difficult to engage people for an hour unless you really, really are incredibly good at stand up mm. I mean I notoriously just I can't I find it very hard to sit through a whole hour of someone unless they're really tremendous but I would sit through a show that's trying to do something a little bit different a bit interesting and trying to connect with me in some way I guess I mean, yeah. this may just be personal but I just think you stand a better chance of doing well, better at Edinburgh if there's some reason for it like 10 films of my dad uh, Aiden's show I think is a great example of a show that the title indicated what it was and meant that a lot of reviewers came along and it got great reviews. It was a real hook, 10 films my dad, you're going to go and see it. Uh, so it's that really, is how to do well at Edinburgh, how to stand out. Again, it's the standout thing. I think you just do better if you've got something else going on other than just you standing there. Mm. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I mean, it's not, it's not a, uh, like you said, it's not me or us being pernickety against someone who has an hour for jokes i mean that's perfectly fine yeah. but for me it's the distinction especially in edinburgh or in a fringe festival yeah. i think you need to build your show like you said uh, w with aiden's show we keep just plugging aiden this is a big well i think it's worth plugging um, <laughs> it is i've seen it like four it's times or something, show. But, it's, but it's uh it's you know you owe me some sort of commission here is what i'm saying um but it's um yeah i at fringe festivals especially in edinburgh i feel like it is better to i mean if you're not going out of an hour, or uh, so you're not going out of a show, do you think it's? I mean, how would you? 
make sure that you make sure that people know that it's not i mean you could do it as like if it's a free how do you go free comedians in a in a showcase type thing mm. but how if I, if i was doing an hour of jokes is there do you think there should be like maybe an option for you to say it's stand up but it's just jokes or it's stand up but it's a show I don't know. I think the thing is you need a catchy title. I'm not sure that would be the one. Um, I think you need to have something interesting in the title that the show is actually about that if you're not well-known on television will make people come and see your show. Um, so I think really you can't be lazy about it. You need to think of a great idea for a show. If you want lots of people to come and you want it to be successful, you need to think of a great idea for it, don't you? I, I think... Otherwise, I mean, Nick Helm's first solo show was amazing. It was so good. Um, and he, but he worked on that show for, I mean, like almost a year. And it was, it was just the most brilliant. I mean, he started off around here, so obviously I saw him um, a lot early on. Uh, and I just thought watching the show and he got did he get nominated for that with that first one it might I think he did get nominated actually and it was his first show but it was great and it was it had the sections thing going on but it had all different stuff in it and he'd worked on it for nine months that show solidly to make it fantastic so if you want a fantastic show I think that is what's required isn't it to work that hard on it and to actually think about it that much it had a great title as well I think it was uh, Keep Hold of the Gold. Is that yeah, it? Uh, I can't remember if that was the first one or the second one. One of them had dreams in it. Sorry, great title that we can't remember. Um, but I know it was a great title at the time. Yeah, if it was like eight films or something, so, you know, with my mum, we would have... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? I think you just... Oh, it's really hard work to become a comedian. I mean, it's really, really hard. There's no point in anyone pretending it's really easy and you'll be able to do it in like six weeks, eight weeks. You won't. You, it's a long, long, long development process and a long, hard slog. And hopefully good people will help you out on the way and help you develop and stuff. I think that's important. I think everyone that's been around for a long time is willing to do that in that without new talent coming through, we don't have a comedy circuit with any longevity. It's really important to create opportunities and platforms and help people out you know to, to to encourage that and nurture that and facilitate and develop and developing acts is one of the most exciting things to do um but if you want to stand out at edinburgh you've got to come up with a great idea for a show see that that to me is a really lovely way you put that because so many comedians at my level and below and maybe a little bit above say oh it's so hard to to make it or or oh it's so frustrating you know when we're going to get my breath or any of that kind of you know don't say it maybe in that way but you're like you got to remember they do need us at some point. You know, yeah. what I mean? they need us to come through. And I think you forget that when you're plugging around the circuit because you sort of think oh, they've kind of got these people. They already booked them. Do you know what I mean? They already yeah. there's already these people filling these pigeonholes. You know, I would fill that pigeonhole when that person retires, but or I would fill these holes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Well, do remember. Yeah, remember that we need you. I think. I think. I most of the people I hang out with in the business, I would say we're all very aware of that. We. If we don't con if we don't continue to nurture, facilitate, and develop talent, then we aren't going to have a circuit. The circuit must continually be fed through. I mean, you must continually be there. Must continually be new people coming through. Now, that's not to say that everyone's going to get everyone's going to stand out enough to get that. But if you stand out, I think if you stand out and you're genuinely good at this, you will get through. I, I think you will because enough people will notice you and want to develop you through because it is an exciting thing. Everybody wants to develop new talent and everybody wants to find find those exciting new voices because everyone I think who's been around in the business for a long time is very passionate about comedy 
And it's great watching people that you see when they're really small and they're just like a bit all over the place, but there's something there and they get better and better and better and better and better. And then they're the headliner. You just think, wow. That's one of the things I love about teaching so much. Guys, such a joy. Um, the people that I taught, I remember them walking in through the door and doing my beginner's course and then they've kind of, they start, they're good and they start gigging and then they're doing Comic Boom and the headline Comic Boom and then they're on the telly and then I'm watching them on Jonathan Ross going, oh my God, look. You know, it's just, it's incredible. It's a lovely thing. Really, the nicest thing. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, sorry, moving slightly off of the I- the idea of pigeonholes and 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 oh, yes. uh, people feeling like they're not moving up and and uh, opportunities and all that kind of yeah. Area. You mentioned earlier that when you started Comic Boom, you wanted to make sure there was at least one woman on every bill. Yep, absolutely. Now that is something that's like been talked about a little bit. Oh my lord, has it not been? The only reason why is because <clears throat> there is no prejudice whatsoever in the comedy business about female comedians. Uh, clearly the comedy circuit is largely run by women. So uh, that's just there's just no point in banging like within the circuit we all know that, the industry we all know that. The reason why I wanted to do that was because there is prejudice from the audiences. Okay, so it's that that comes from an audience. Audiences always kind of for the first, I think, year of Comic Boom, I was very careful to book very strong female comedians because every time they walked on stage, the audience kind of went, oh. And I just thought, keep going, keep going. And eventually they stopped going, oh, and they just kind of, so now they don't, now it doesn't happen. But I had the luxury of being able to do that uh, because I was doing something that was a bit experimental anyway and that um, we, we wanted, I was still trying to find out what I wanted to do with Comic Boom and the idea was that it wasn't, it's a new comedy night. So the idea was to give people who were breaking through and needed experience of playing a really big venue before they had to play a really big venue was to give them that experience. Uh, so it was kind of a halfway, a club that was a halfway house in between in between being the best act at a new act night and then suddenly playing the Glee. So the idea was to try and help people develop into the big club skills, which are different. Mm. So there's some classic things that people do when they've been playing just new at nights in small clubs. And you need to sort of say to them, OK, don't don't just play to the front row. There's 300 people behind them and stuff like that. Um, so uh, I've completely lost track of your question. No, it was just going to be about... Uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this now because you've sort of, you've sort of ch- changed the narrative of the conversation, but in a good way. Oh, I do that. Uh, no, <laughs> Well, let's, let, I'll just ask it. I'll just ask bluntly what I'm trying to get to. Mm. Women in comedy. Mm. I, I completely. Oh God, yeah, that's probably why I changed the narrative. Yeah, okay. Well, no, I, I agree with your point on that. I think. I mean, f- put it this way: most of the guests I'm, I'm getting on this show, and it's not by chance or on purpose, are female, and they and they are and they are quite you know established people who who yeah. really work hard and they and they really establish themselves in the industry, and um, that's down to comedians as well as promoters as well as yeah. teachers as well as just everything in it, right? Yeah. And and that comes uh, and that extends into PR as well. There's lots of females in PR. Yes, absolutely. And, so and agents, I, God, fantastic. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, almost every agent I've spoken to. Yes. Both in this pod and in my career. So behind the about. scenes, yeah. there's a lot of women. Oh yeah. In the powerful positions, running the festivals as well. A lot of oh, big yeah. festivals. Yeah, yeah. But so I so I completely agree with you. It's not the industry that's ne- maybe got that hang up. It's the audiences. But do you think? Yeah. I mean, do you, uh, you said for the not last all week, audiences, but 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 you know, I think the pre- I think there is an issue with an audience. Not I don't know why. I can't answer that question. Uh, but there is certainly I do feel that 
an audience can be slightly more prejudiced against a female comedian, and that does put a booker in a difficult position because if if they put loads of women on the bill and the audience doesn't enjoy that, then where do you stand? It's tricky. So I just had an idea that I would make sure that I got the audience used to the idea there was always going to be a woman there and then increasingly add some more. Um, and then I stopped worrying quite so much about it and just thought I will just book the best up-and-coming comedians around and they are as equally women as men. There is kind of always seems to be slightly more men around, but I, I have got some wonderful women playing comic boom so it's become less of a thought for me and now it's more of a i might look at the bills and kind of separate out and just check i've got i've got one of this on every bill one of that on every bill that just sounds awful but there's no point pretending that doesn't happen uh just kind of make sure it's mixed yeah. okay like one crazy act one more mainstream act or whatever just kind of dividing it all up and making sure the bills are really uh, really sound so i just think the whole thing about women in comedy is Oh, women don't need extra different things. They're not some feeble creatures that need extra, extra nights and extra things for them. Uh, male and female comedians just uh, this, just get on with it. So, I don't know. I find it very annoying, the whole kind of... Sometimes you can create a problem by talking about it too much, and I think that's what's happened. So the press has gone on and on and on about it, and uh, every, various people with very much with the best intentions have, have tried to sort of help women and just point out, and just, in fact what they're saying is women need help, and they don't need help. I just think the problem is that you've just got to be very careful that you don't create a problem uh, by offering help that isn't needed, and that people who are looking to gain out of that problem by I hear offering help. Yeah, I hear what you're saying because there are there's kind of a circuit. Like so, there's there's kind of a uh, urban circuit they call it, which is essentially for black comedians at the moment. Yeah. There's a there's a circuit for women comedians out there, and I, if you have a audience that I think are interested in seeing an all female bill or an all an all ethnic bill or an all whatever bill because it's their interest and they want that gig that's fine but i think if you're engineering it to try and help out that i think the problem is the implication that if you don't do that they can't manage without you yes that's the problem so i'm not criticizing any of those things so i think there's great validity in a lot of things that people are doing but i think there is a problem when you start saying these people need help so i'm going to do something that will help them and everyone goes they need help do they Oh, I thought they were just like doing the circuit like everybody else is doing the circuit. Yeah. Put it this way, I've got fre- female friends who are comedians. And I understand because I've gigged with them enough and, I, and, I've, and I've seen what they've shown. You know, some of them have said to me, when I go up, I noticed it when the other girl went up. Watch that corner of that crowd yeah, over there. They, yeah, they're sure. going gonna to immediately, you'll watch. You'll, and you can tell when someone switches off when you're on stage. Yeah. And so they walk up and I'm keeping my eye on them. And you can see one of them be like, I'm just going to go get the drinks in. You want to do that? Because yeah. they don't care. And, you know, and, uh, and it's not a coincidence that it happens like that. No, and that's coming from the audience, not the promoter. Yes. And the thing is, the only way to change that group of people's opinion is by getting on stage and being good in front of that group of people who aren't interested in you yeah you play to them yes you play to them because if you just play to the people who already think you're fabulous that's not helping <laughs> what you need to do is convince the like group, group of lads in the corner that really don't like female comedians that you're really funny that mm. that's how you change that that's your job yeah that is your job essentially yes if you can't do that job then you're not able to do the job of being a comedian i mean i don't i mean there's some comedians that i don't think it i don't notice it as much now when i first started comic boom it was 11 years ago i don't notice as much now because so many 
fantastic comedians have come kind of flying through, particularly in the last few years. But I think that's kind of knocked that on the head a lot. I just think, essentially, everybody should make an agreement to stop talking about it and never mention it again, and then the problem will stop. That may be a very simple solution, and it may not work, but this is, that is actually what I think would work best. It would stop exacerbating the problem, at least. Yeah, I just think that I, the press asks the question anymore. I just always now just say, I'm just, sorry, I'm just not answering that question. I just can't. It's because, it, again, it goes into print again. It's just like there is no problem. Let's not keep mentioning it. My, my favourite answer to any of these questions ever has been... Sorry, yours is close second. But uh, <laughs> uh, my favourite answer was Beck Hill, well, a good ah. friend of mine. She said uh, she was asked by a load of journalists in like a day, what's it like being a female comedian? And she answered, it's the same as being a male comedian, except you get asked that a lot more. <laughs> That's a really, really good answer. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer. Well, she's um, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. It's just, oh, constant, uh, constant, constant, constant people being asked it. It's just crazy. Okay. Okay, let's move back to show structures and things like that then really quickly. Um, but should we cover how to get gigs? Do you think they'll want to know, the people that are listening? They'll probably want to know, yeah. I don't know. What would be the most useful um, advice to pass on? I'm well, now asking you questions as if it was my podcast. I'm sorry. But I was right. just thinking, like, if they're going to get anything out of it, what are they likely to know that I might be able to tell people? Well, I mean, when you say gigs, do you mean your gig or do you mean general gigs? Uh, well, general gigs, I don't know. What are they most likely to want to know about? Well... This just sounds us just having a completely yeah, nonsense I'm leaving talk. That in. It's like yeah, that's like, but I'm just kind of thinking if there's anything that I can well, uh, uh, that I can bring to the table that would be useful, it would be good to know what that was. Well, I mean, to be honest, you've brought a lot to the table already. I don't, I don't think you think you have. <laughs> no, I don't actually. But, that's what I was well, thinking. I mean, I, can I, I offer something more that people might want to know that they um, wouldn't know otherwise? Well, I'm, I'm crossing off questions and writing down questions that you've answered because I do show notes and stuff. So mm. you have offered a lot. Oh, like, good. don't oh, get me okay. wrong. But, uh, yeah, go on, more would be great. Um, <laughs> I mean, what, uh, go on then, how, how do you get books? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if that's what, what people want to know, but I suppose there are just things that I noticed that don't write, okay, do your research. This thing, maybe the things that I just want to tell them. Um, make sure you've got a decent clip. Nobody can tell what you're like from what you've written in an email. So you do have to have a clip, even if it's just um, on a get your friend to do it on a mobile phone. At least it's something. Um, but have, you've got to have a clip if you want to go outside of your own area. Minimum of like five minutes, I assume. Well, maximum of five minutes, actually. Probably gonna oh. wa- only going to watch two. Right. And if the beginning is dreadful, that will be the only bit you watch. So just make sure you uh, just get record it every time you do a gig for a while until you get one that you think works. It's worth putting the effort in uh, because a promoter won't have time to watch your clip probably. But if someone's recommended you and enough people have recommended you um, and you get a clip, um, y- you might watch and start at the beginning. So just make so I just make sure you have got a clip because even New at Nights want clips here in Brighton. They'll want clips because it's just that bit further if you're going outside of London, mm. if you're London based. Um, but just make sure you... Okay, oh, I've got other stuff now. Also make sure you record every single gig you do in your on your handheld tape recorder. Record it. I'm not even going to tell you why. Record every single gig you do. Um, okay, so getting bookings. So when you send an email to promoter, do your research. So I get lots of emails uh, passed on to me that get sent to the comedian just saying, um, I'd really like to play the comedian. And I'm like, oh, bless. Okay, <laughs> that's not... You haven't done your research. There are three in-house comedy clubs running at the comedian creator which is the big one now if you have to write an email to get to play that one you're not ready uh comic boom which is the one that develops and supports new talent uh which is my one and bent double the wonderful bent double one by the amazing zoe lyons okay so they all have a different feel obviously 
Comic Boom and uh, Bent Double Monthly. And then there are a se- so they're the three in-house clubs. And then there are a, a series of smaller nights that run in the studio bar that are really nice nights too, but they're all run by separate promoters who work with. So if, so if you've got a big venue like that, don't send that email. Just have a look on their website, check what nights they're running, and then go to the night's website and get the name of the promoter who runs that night. And then just check if they have a booking policy. And if they don't, then maybe give it a shot. But I'm just saying, like, kind of do your homework, do your research. Because I don't think it takes that much longer. But if you just send a general email, most of the time a promoter will delete you. But if you do a little bit of research and get their name and their club's name right, um, and then don't say, <laughs> I get emails from people saying, I've heard wonderful things about your club. I'm looking to do this. And it's something that I never do at my club. This <laughs> is the old oh, bless. And don't, so don't lie. Um, so find out a little bit, you know, ask around and find out a little bit about the places you might want to play. Just so you've got something to say. Mm. If it's near enough to you to get there and go to it, then go to it. You have to go to it. And then you can always approach the promoter on the night and just say, oh, man, I really want to get involved in this. I love this night. What can I do? I don't really care if you're lying. Just if you're there <laughs> and you've approached me like that, well, that's obviously going to make a difference, isn't it? Yeah. If you, if, so, uh, and then when you send the email, uh, there is no point in, uh, so spelling, grammar, just usual stuff, and don't write too much. And you don't need a massive list of long of new at nights that you've done. Um, so it just like if you're going to approach any promoters to try and get gigs, it's got to be brief. Um, if you're starting off quite early on, so a couple of gigs you've done, a clip, uh, and just a really nice, just kind of like, uh, and always ask for an open spot. Don't send emails saying I'm doing opening twenties or I want a ten or I want a five. Just send an email saying I've heard great. You know, if you've heard things about the club, I've heard great things about the club. I would, um, if there's any possibility of doing an open spot, I, I would love to to, to, to do it. Uh, just keep it really humble and simple. Mm. Uh, and one of the best ways, really, is to get recommended by people that already play that club if you're moving up a level. But m- my thoughts really on just like how to get gigs, if there's local new at nights in your area, go to them, be seen to be supporting them, talk to the promoter, ask if the best way to contact them, whether it's Facebook or email or Twitter or whatever they want to use, um, and is it okay for you to contact them to do a spot but if you're supporting their night the chances are they'll give you one yeah. so your little local nights that's easy but if you're moving up the ladder just bear in mind a bit of research is required and a clip definitely and uh, recommendations yeah. will really help so just check out who plays the night and check that if you say someone's going to recommend you when the promoter checks which they will that they will actually recommend you <laughs> I feel like some of those things are things that keep coming up and you're not, not projecting, but there's, there's like a... No, I just feel like I want people to know a bit more about how to get gigs because it's it just seems like it's something that people don't know. Right. And like if we could tell them, if people told them how mm. to get gigs, then they would do a lot better with getting gigs and everyone would be happier. See, the, I mean, this is... I mean, it's not the mission of the podcast, but it's, it's definitely something that's part of this. So like when I had Jeff Whiting on, I just said, mm. what do you want with this? I mean, you don't, you don't get every email. What, are, yeah. what do your staff want? Like, cause that's Absolutely. Useful. How do you get gigs with birth control? Loads of people want to know that. Yeah, and and you know he went into great detail about the whole thing, and he was really open with it. And like even down to my, I've started an indie guide to the fringe that I'm doing, which is essentially me blogging my way to the fringe. Oh, yeah, and I yes. and I did uh, I did one about press releases recently, where I I spoke oh, to yeah. I spoke to two PR yes. people about it, and they were like, um, oh no, we know what they want. Just just you know when you when you come with us, we'll send it out. And I went okay, cool. But then I thought. 
do they really? Like, it sounds like they're just going to send the same email to every person. So I rang up every single news desk that I wanted to contact and said, "Can I talk to this? You know, Brian Logan at the guy, whoever it is." And I went, and they went, "Yeah, sure," because for some reason they've got no filtration system. Wow. And and then I said, "Look, I'm doing my show. I want to send you a press release, but I don't want it to be shit. I don't want it to be wrong." Oh, that's great. When you get PR people, you know what are they? What are the bugbears? What goes wrong? Yeah, and most of them were like, you know, they just copy and paste everything. Oh. Like it's ridiculous. And I'm like, and like they didn't name who and whatever, so I can't yeah. tell you that. But I, so I wrote a massive blog post, like just Brilliant. saying all these things. And and it's because I want myself to be good. I want I want. But that's I want really helpful because that's what people. That's the kind of stuff that people need, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm surprised no one else has. I mean, I suppose. I mean, it took me about six hours maybe to ring around all these people and write it up and stuff. But at the same token, yeah, that's going to save me long term. And plus, I know, you know, I, I'm emailing back and forth with some of these people. And it's and again, it's like getting to know the people. But it's shocking to me. Totally. I mean, I just, I kind of think, I suppose that's why I ask kind of like, what, what can I, uh, what can I tell people that maybe they don't know now? I mean, hopefully most people know that about gigging, but you'd be surprised how much stuff we get. Um, that I just think, oh, no. Like, look, look, if you'd just done that, it would have been okay. So just there's some quite simple things about if people aren't getting gigs, it's usually just they send ridiculous emails just saying, uh, yeah, I've heard you've got a decent night. I'd quite like to do it. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> That's not – don't be a knob. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like we were saying earlier where we said, look at the business side of it. Yeah. This person, you, for example, are running a show and you've got yeah. you've got to get in – first of all, you've got to get in – 300 people to get your room yeah hell that's hard yeah and every then month. you've got to deal with that you know what i mean yeah so, so don't think they're going to spend ages reading your email it's amazing <laughs> to me i mean i i used to run a night and i've still got the page up. i'm taking it down now i've hidden it because i don't i don't want to take it down for nostalgia but i oh. used to, i got an email recently from someone new who was like oh, i'd love to get a gig with you here's my details and it was just long like literally i had to scroll for ages to get down to the reply bit in google oh, no. and i was like i don't run a night but also here are some tips, like in a nice oh, way. yeah, that's and, nice. And the guy replied just saying, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you didn't run a night. And I was like, I've just spent 20 minutes yeah, replying yeah, yeah. to you. I used to do that, actually send back feedback and stuff, and they, 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 yeah. no, nobody actually appreciates that, which is weird. Yeah, but I suppose it's because I'm not at a, a consistent paid level. They shouldn't listen to me. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably still not listening to people. No, and still there. But bottom, the, bottom of the new act circuit. I just there are just some things that I just think, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, maybe if we can pass them on, if more of us can pass them on, that 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 then will uh, help. It's hard being a new act. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard getting gigs, um, and it's really hard getting going. And so it's just like, well, look, there are some things that you can do that will make it easier. So don't do these. Do these things, and you know it's that, isn't it? Just if oh, you could pass that stuff on, in the hope that uh, it will just help people come through, or just have a less crap time. Yeah, I mean, f- for me, I mean, like I keep, I mean, I get messages almost on a weekly basis from people saying, "Why are you giving away all the information? Like, what would you get out of it?" And I'm like, because we're all in this together. Mm. Like, I, I've a, I'm not going to pretend you've Googled me, but I've got a mapping project where a comedy club map. I'm trying to map every gig in the UK. So promoters, send me in the details. I add it to a map. Anyone can go to it. It's free. Brilliant. Go to it. Right? I've got collective. I do that. I do this. And the amount of people that just don't understand that we could all help each other with this. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and, to, and I mean, okay, fine. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna turn around and say, well, I can't do this paid gig. You can, do, you know, I'm not an idiot. But at the same token, and plus the promoter probably wouldn't like that. No. But, but the point is, is that why not share the information? Well, it's supposed to be. I mean, I'm quite big on community. So yeah. uh, uh, in Brighton, particularly when I when I first transferred here, there was like 
two or three people sort of kicking around saying, oh, we want we want to do something here. We want to create some kind of comedy circuit. And like kind of we, I mean, this was a while ago. It was when there was just the creator and just there was one established night creator, the comedian, and there was one little new at night called Rabbits and Headlights, which is now still going. Um, and a group of people that wanted to start a comedy circuit here. So I brought... I bought the stand, my stand-up comedy course with uh, quite a lot of reputation behind that and did that with the comedia and people were, and uh, Katie Shute was running Rebs and Headlights, Nikki Hayden had all these ideas, she was running venues and stuff and we, and Vicky Nangle, who the uh, comedy editor, comedy features editor, at, uh, that's not her title, Leisure 7 anyway, but she does the comedy stuff. Um, and the thing is about communities, everyone working together, everyone saying, well, let's try what, let's, let's, it was Katie Shute contact me, contacting me and saying, what can we do? We want more clubs. And Vicky Nagel said, we want more clubs, what are we going to do? And so gradually between us all, it's just like, well, look at the power of everyone getting together. And there's Stephen Grant getting very much involved, he's fab. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody getting together and starting to connect with each other and go, okay, well, I'm going to do the course. Okay, I'll encourage them to start up new at nights, but do them properly, not just rubbish ones, actually teach them how to do it. So if I teach them how to do that, then that will create those. And then someone's like, okay, well, I'll book them here to give them the first experience of doing this and like oh okay i'll help like this so kind of between us i mean it's long since it, it, you know the history of how it got to this point is is to an extent sort of slightly forgotten now in that we're at this point and as always um it's just big and there's loads of stuff here and no one kind of thinks about how it began but i'm big on community and the, the, the way i run my course is that um that you pass back down so you when when new people join say the advanced workshop which is the beginning of working with people who have been going longer they benefit from the people who've been doing more gigging and all the information gets brought back about gigs and everything and people running gigs and then those new people become the people with the information and the deal is they pass it back mm. they keep passing it down keep passing it on so the idea was to create a community that spreads out and that looks after everybody within that community and makes it easier. But I think the whole comedy circuit, to a large extent, <coughs> has that same thing. So I have really good connections with people in the comedy circuit that I really value. Um, and if we don't do that, what is the point, really? So there are bookers that I rely on to do some things. I got an, a panicky email from a local booker saying, oh, my God, two people have dropped out, and I don't know who to book. Have you got any ideas? And I was like, yep, yeah, try this, 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 and this. You can contact them like that. And they were like, oh, thank you, but I know I can do that with them next time. Uh, there's so many brilliant connections that mean that we can all create something better together. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, and I, I it seems, uh, I think, I mean, I would like to think the people who, who don't believe in that aren't going to get very far. But the merit, I, I have a theory, and I don't know how, how you feel about this, because I was talking to someone the other day, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I think the circuit is a meritocracy, but only up to a point. Who's, if it's a meritocracy, who are the people? In what way? That's really interesting. What do you mean? Well, meritocracy, what do you mean? Who, who are the... Well, I don't even know what you mean by meritocracy. Explain it to me Well, so, so if you're good, you'll move up, is what I mean. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. Sorry, I only know about comedy. Um, not <laughs> anything else. Oh, I see. So meritocracy, you mean that... Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Sorry. I got confused about the words there. That's helpful. Uh, probably ought to cut that out. Um, okay, so... Yeah, that's definitely... Right, yeah. So if you're good, you'll move up. Yes. It, yeah, if you're, if, you're gr if you're really good, genuinely, if you're recognised... Mm. by everyone around you as a great comedian I yeah, think is the that's issue that's why I mean up to a point <laughs> yeah and I think yeah. the meritocracy goes out the window at like Edinburgh for example because you've, you've you need something more than being good yeah. to stand out up there 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah, even the people who are amazing need mm. something to stand out, don't they? Yeah, uh, Meritox, yeah, I agree that I think it's a very fair system. If you're a great comedian and you're really good at this, then you will work your way up the ranks and you will, and it will come to pass. Whether you can jump all the hurdles along the way and whether you have the personality to do that as well will be the other factors that come into play. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely true. I think if you are not, if after 10 years... You haven't, you know, if you're still doing new at nights after 10 years, you might have to question whether this is, I don't know. I don't think anyone should ever question whether it's going to happen. I think you should just keep going for as long as you want to. I mean, is it, why not? Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. Oh yeah, totally. I notice that all the time. I mean, that's what my experience is the great people I find, I find, I'm sure there's loads of people I miss, but I, I go out and actively look for the people, particularly at Edinburgh, actually, that I think are great and exciting and new voices, put them on at Comic Boom. And if they are really, they do well in a five, once they've stormed in a five, I'll put them up to a ten. Always tricky because most acts can do five, but very few can do ten. So if they survive ten and they actually do well at ten, then keep booking them at ten. You know, you, I will, I've watched them then go up to from ten to headliner to becoming a compare to being too big to play Comic Boom anymore. It's oh. great. It's oh, great no, that's great. Time. Well, no, yeah. because then no, you've got to find to more. It's got to be a continual conveyor belt, yeah, hasn't like it? Said, yeah. uh, just because people get too big to um, to play it, that doesn't, uh, and that's a good thing. I'm always delighted when someone gets too big to play it because it means that, that it's worked. Definitely. That we've, that, yeah, 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 you've been behind someone who's been, I'm good, I'm pleased for them, always pleased for them. Although they do come back. I mean, everybody comes back. They kind of sneak back sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna. I've got. I've got two last things to ask okay. you, so you can impart your wisdom. Oh God, okay. I don't know. If I have any wisdom other than just me. You know, my thoughts really. <laughs> Let's have some thoughts. Um, so you said, show titles and the way that you you market your show needs to be in line with the show itself and needs to tell people everything about what it is. Oh well, I think so. Yeah, I think it needs to indicate. Well, if you get a really good show title. Uh, then people will come to the show, and then if the show has got nothing to do with the show title, they'll just feel a bit cheated, won't they? Yeah, you see, yeah, Copstick had some really good thoughts on that when she said... Oh, uh, she's know, the person who knows, yeah. yeah. She was like, if I get invited to the incredibly satirical brothers yeah. and they're not satirical, and they're <laughs> not brothers, yeah. I'm going to be really... <laughs> the first thing the reviewer says is they're not satirical, they're not brothers. Yeah, you don't want to be just be... Yeah, you just... Of course, I think it's very difficult with Edinburgh shows because obviously they, you have to fill in the... Um, <laughs> The doodah, like months ahead, don't yeah. you? So you have to sort out the program information and the title a, a long time ahead of when you may have actually planned the show. But yes, I do think the title should be what it's going to be if you want to do well in Edinburgh. Yeah, I know. It's worrying the hell out of me because my show is called Buddhism and Cats and it's like 95% cats. Like and you need to get some more Buddhism in it then, don't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, the problem is, is when I first wrote the first couple of jokes that were, that were cat and Buddhism-centric, right, I thought... It's going to be a great title. Why would it not be? You sign up to the Edinburgh, and then and then you go. It's actually really hard to make like a joke about that. <laughs> Start <laughs> non- with Buddhism. Non-theistic. Start with Buddhism. Have a running. Uh, create a callback about Buddhism, so that there's a callback all the way through the show that keeps coming back every ten fifteen minutes about Buddhism, and then at the end have a bit about Buddhism, and then the rest can be about cats. Just okay. cheat it by having setting up a callback at the beginning that you pick up at the end that keeps coming into reminding people Buddhism is in the show. Yeah, I went and I was to create some themic a theme. I was going to say I got a, I got the itty bitty Buddha book, so I can nice. uh, I'm going to try and write some material about it. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm dedicated just keep to dropping it, in. I have an overarching mean. theme where it has to keep dropping in. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so every 10, 15 minutes, or make it to the point at the end of each section. If each section is about yeah. cats, to have a Buddhist point about the cat. 
section there. I just, that's the way to do it. That's okay. easy to sort out. You'll be fine. Okay, fine. Well, no, I, <laughs> it, like it's, it's almost there. It's just a case of, I, like I said, I'm worried that it's not a show. It's a series of jokes. Mm. And I feel like that's a massive worry for a lot of people going up to the fringe, especially for their first time. Well, you've already answered your own question then, haven't you? If it's not an actual show, it's a series of jokes, then it doesn't take much to turn it into a show. Yeah. So if you've got the Buddhism and cats thing and there isn't enough about Buddhism in it, then why don't you create an overarching question you ask at the beginning, an overarching thing about Buddhism that goes over, and then each chunk, each section that is about cats has some Buddhist point in it. So at the end, you make some big conclusion about Buddhism and its relation to cats. So maybe you pose at the beginning and answer it at the end. So you're exploring cats and Buddhism, but you just make the point about Buddhism, one point about Buddhism and cats in each section. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, well, the original concept was about because I, I lost an argument with my girlfriend. I wanted a dog, she wanted a cat, and uh, I'm now trying because now I really love the cat, but I'm trying not to want the cat because in Buddhism it tells you not to want for anything. So the idea, and also the cat's quite zen. So the the concepts were there at the start. Yeah, cats are, aren't they? So okay, calm. the idea of in Buddhism. Okay, but what would have probably been a okay? This sorry, this is not helpful. But what might have been a better title? Of trying to be a good Buddhist, or uh, some some condensed version of um, trying to be a Buddhist. Something about trying to be good at being a Buddhist, or something about Buddhism. Then, because each of you, you could divide that into sections and have each each section could be why you haven't managed to be a good Buddhist, or why you're failing. Failure is always interesting, isn't it? So, why you're failing at being a good Buddhist, and at the end, you there's something else. Well, it's it's it's, it's just a, yeah. Structure. Well, I know my. Yeah, I mean the the. I mean that is better than what I've got at the moment. By the way, um, but uh, it's not too late. <laughs> no, it's not for Edinburgh. Uh, it's for Brighton, probably. Um, but the 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 thing I've got with the show. I mean the sh- the interesting thing for me is that you have to register your show title so far in advance. Yeah, I, I mean, know that's a big problem for everyone, isn't it, Major? Uh, yeah, I mean because the, the show, my show, for example, has morphed from that original concept yeah. to me trying to be an adult because people keep telling me to be an adult. But in reality, I still feel like 16 inside and I do not understand the world. Trying to be a grown-up. Yeah. And, and that might be a better title as well. Yeah, I know. I could probably change <coughs> it for Edinburgh. But how to be grown-up. How to be a grown-up. How to be an adult. How to, how to be an adult. I've got till the 8th of April to decide whether this is worth doing for Edinburgh. So but, th- I think it's yeah. those show titles that are more interesting. Buddhism and Cats, with respect, wouldn't draw my eye. Would it not? No. Okay, why not? It just doesn't have any, it doesn't tell me anything. I don't get any information from it. It sounds like a new app that couldn't think of a better name for the show. Sorry, I know that's <laughs> awful. I'm insulting him, it's terrible. Um, but no, I, I don't mean to, but it's just that that doesn't, it just, that doesn't hook me. Whereas um, a show that has some kind of, that gives me an idea of what the theme is going to be or what it's going to be about would draw me in. So if I'm going out to Edinburgh and I'm looking for uh, acts for, uh, comic boom or for any other private stuff I'm doing it's really really difficult to pick out amongst all the show titles and all the shows like and people I don't know so I usually go on recommendations but I would go to a show called um, I don't know something like how to be a good Buddhist or something not that exact title more than I would go and see a show called Buddhism and Cats right because Buddhism and Cats doesn't tell me anything but someone trying to do something or how to be an adult or I don't know, uh, th- uh, three things you should know about Buddhists. I don't know. Something that just interests me. Does that make any sense? It, uh, would you say that's the same for audience or for you, because your industry? So do you think you're looking for something different? No, I think the audience is the same, actually, because they're overwhelmed by stuff. So they've got no way of picking out what to go and see, but a title that makes them go, oh, again, we're coming back to it, 10 Films of My Dad. 
you're going to go, aren't you? 10 films with my dad. You go, oh, and then you see a review from Coptic saying, take your dad. You're like, oh, I'm definitely going. Uh, th- that, that, that's the thing is you've got to make it possible for people to pick you out. Uh, Buddhism and Cats doesn't tell me anything, really. Uh, you could do My Cat's a Buddhist. That sounds a bit, um, no, I'm not going for that either. Yeah, sounds very contrived, sounds very new acty. Uh, but something that sounds slightly more personal, if you want to do Buddhism, would kind of interest me. Right. And then I'm kind of, I don't know. It's just that it's just an emotional content. It's exactly the same as what you have in your material. Yeah. A, a, some kind of emotional content or some kind of concept, some kind of it's a show and it's not just a new act doing something crazy. It's not particularly crazy. It's, uh... Yeah, but... Uh, yeah. I know what you're saying. think of a good name? Does it have to have the cat? Is it all about cats rather than Buddhism? Um, it's, it's a fair amount about cats. Like but it sounded like the main theme was that you can't be a good Buddhist because you want, you, you like the cat, you want the cat. Did it, no, the, the, the description that I've been sending PR people that they really like okay. and that people that I've spoken to say they like was something like, um, if you got your idea of adulthood from the TV show Friends, if you struggle to live in the moment and so if you struggle to live in the moment and spend more of your time on your phone than with your friends and if you oh, I can't remember the last one but there's three of those yeah this is the show for you and it's just it's just about yeah my inability to connect my inability to be a be in the moment and with my friends and with my cat even even then even with my cat i get a phone out and take photos of it i'm not even with him i'm putting a block then in it's there. about a show about not being able to connect it's about yeah it's about not being able to connect and it's about not being able to be an adult Okay, so those things should be in the title, shouldn't they? Connect being an adult. <laughs> well, they're, they're not being able to connect or not being able to be an adult, or I learned to be an adult from friends. I don't know. They're just, it's, it, it's there. It's right. what the show is about, is about not being able to be an adult, not being able to connect, which are slightly different. So you might need to have picked which one is the strongest one there. Uh, and then the title should contain that. See, I'm now worried as hell that I'm not going to get it done in time. You'll be fine. Don't well, no, worry, no, you'll be fine. No, no, because I've got to get until the 8th of April, which is like four days, five days away or whatever, isn't it? To get the, the description and the image made for the programme. For Edinburgh? Yeah. So you've got four days to sort it out. There's plenty of time. So you've right. already said what the themes are. Now work out a title that actually illustrates the theme. And it's Hooky. Hooky. One of my favourite titles for Edinburgh ever, a long time ago, a group of people called The Wow Show, Never Mind the Ovaltine, I've Got a Hard On. <laughs> it's a good, it's, a good yeah, it's a classic. So the Wow Show always came up with the most fantastic titles. So, uh, but that is from a long time ago. So Ovaltine now would be the wrong drink, uh, but it worked then because it was around then. Mm-hmm. So it's that. How do you hook people in? How, so you are actually basically addressing issues that an audience might be interested in your experiences on and connect to. Mm. So worried. Okay, let's finish the. <laughs> You're just going to end up doing a breakdown on your own podcast. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Literally, I'm going to listen to the back going. Well, I mean, at least the podcast is going well. Like that's that's the only thing I've got. Um, I wouldn't. Don't let me freak you out. Well, no, it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's horrible. Someone's saying something quite articulately about what's wrong. I appreciate that's a horrible experience, but. If I can save, if if you can change it before Edinburgh, then maybe this was that's the moment that will make it work better. Or I could be entirely wrong and just fuck up your whole career. <laughs> no <laughs> pressure, then. I mean, like, say so for example, uh, it's what only my opinion. No, it's true. I mean, it's like, um, what would Beyonce do? The Louise mm. Oman show. That's like a fabulous title that like really brings it's you a in. Superb title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What would Buddha do? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what would Buddha do would sound like you're ripping off what Beyonce do. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but it is, that's more, more yeah, that's along the line. But Buddha doesn't sound like he's in your show. He's not. So ditch that because he's not in your show. What would my cat do? <laughs> that's... We've gone off topic a bit. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's closer, isn't it? Conversations with my cat, that doesn't work. Um, it's just the, the thing is connecting, isn't it? You What you want to talk about is not being able to be an adult and connecting. So forget about your cat and about Buddha and try and work out the, the title of the show involved in the adult thing. It's adults. It's about adults, about adulthood. It is. See, this, this goes back to Aiden. Uh, this is going to be a really weird thing to edit down. But uh, Aiden said to me when we, because I'm getting here on the podcast, and I was talking to him about it, <coughs> and I said, "How do you how do you market your show?" And he went, uh, "I don't." And I was like, "Okay, fine." Uh, how do you tell people about it when you tell people about it? And he goes, "It's a show about communication." I went, "That's the opening line. You can't." And he went, "That's why." And I went, "Oh, that makes so much sense." Yeah, it's a show about how he, him, and his dad only communicated through films. Yeah. And then each of the films illustrates that point. See, if I'm working on an Edinburgh show with somebody, I will continually set, be saying, yes, but what's it about? What is your show about? And until they can answer that question, it's usually going to be quite messy and quite difficult to write the PR stuff and decide on photos and posters and everything. But once they can answer that question, then you actually know what it's about. Then that's what goes in the title, and that's what you try and capture in the PR picture, and that's what tries to go in the press release. So the, this is what it is. Uh, and hopefully that's something hooky and interesting and universal as well as uh, your view. Yeah, no, I, the, the thing is, I find titles like that not off-putting, but like, not. it's somewhere between off-putting and try-hard, but not either of those things. So if you called your show, um, I'm trying to think. So like, I took a punt on Aiden's show when I first saw it, and I, and I wasn't so sure of it. In but every of single reviewer went to see it and nobody had heard of him at the time. Then it went, Copstick went, all the reviewers that knew acts are desperate to get in, they all went. So do you think it was, do you think the title, do you think because the title has words I in it? I think they went because of the title and because of the, of the thing. Because well, the title has words in it that aren't always used, so like film isn't often used in a comedy show title. And a, and a, and I don't a, think it's that complicated, I think it's just that it captures something really interesting. Okay. It just it, ten films of my dad is a title that, of a show that you would go and see. Your reviewers, the reviewers all went. The thing is, it worked. Reviewers all went. Mm. The show's good. The show's been really successful. I mean, essentially, that worked. Mm. Um, I think that you can't just have an ordinary title with just Buddhism and cats. Like, I don't know. What if I'm not interested in Buddhism? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. But if you're posing some kind of interesting question or you're kind of saying something that um, interests me or that interests people there are lots of things that are pretty universal that interest people then um, then then you might draw people in so what about connected more to the internet than people that's a better idea I love the internet more than people would be better mm. the internet loves me uh, turn <laughs> it around that other me. way uh, the internet loves me but I love my cat I don't know you can create the juxtaposition yeah uh, I've got to be grown up, but I still eat spangles. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? What about left to my own devices as long as they have Wi-Fi connection? Too long? No, it doesn't work. Wi-Fi. Wor oh, Wi-Fi. You could use Wi-Fi and world. Wi-Fi and world? Well, your world is Wi-Fi rather than people, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, well, that was the middle one. I feel connected online but never offline. Is that a good enough title? <laughs> no, too long. Well, the last thing I was going <laughs> to... 
just my <laughs> advice would just be pick up on the theme. Forget everything else other than the theme. Okay. Um, right, so you mentioned that when you when people were starting nights yeah. in Brighton, you were helping them pick stuff out so that they do good nights, not bad nights. Yeah. What do you think is required, both practically and <coughs> beyond that, to make a good night run? Yeah, I, mean, I think if you're going to run a night and set up a night, then you've got to do it well, haven't you? Well, there's no point in doing it unless you can do it well, I don't think, because it doesn't add to the circuit. If you're, create, if you're helping create a circuit, then, or if you want a night that's going to be successful, then run it well. I mean, one of the main things was the whole thing that we started with at the beginning was uh, don't expect to be popular, uh, because you're going to need to say no to people that you don't want to book, and you need to stick to that. Make sure you know what kind of a night you're running, what do you want from the night, what kind of night you want it to be. Uh, promote it properly make sure you find a venue where they're not going to keep messing you around which is extremely difficult to do but find a venue and be sure about the venue so it's on the same night create a proper Facebook page if it's a smaller night everyone operates through Facebook also Twitter is useful make sure that you know what you're doing so you've got to compare how many acts do you want or make sure you understand timing uh, because a lot of people just go oh yeah we're going to put these seven acts on uh, and that'll last an hour and then you have to explain about yeah, time to get on and off stage time for the compare time for an interval so I, I always do two intervals because it means that the bar gets a higher take so things like that are nice keeps the venue happy um, and, and then just I would say one of the biggest things is be very strict about time be very strict about time everyone gets a red light at five if they're doing five or a red light at ten if they're doing ten and they must wind up and get off because if you do a night I did great graduate said oh yeah I wanted to do this night he set up a night and he was like yeah it's for us it's for us comedians we're just gonna have a great time and uh, I don't mind how long they do oh man he changed that within a, about a month because everyone just did like 35 minutes um, and was terrible so and don't let the acts decide how long they do you decide so it's your night you're promoting it you need to make decisions but you also just need to be really aware that those are nice clear parameters book people that work for your night promote it properly uh, be clear about times so that people don't overrun and don't do massive favours to mates that aren't very good at comparing compare it yourself I mean, if you're going to run a night you may as well compare it yourself I, I think really or there's not a lot of point in running if you're new and you want the stage time and the experience you compare it if you feel you really can't compare it then get somebody else in but just approach it with kind of a, a kind of professional kind of sorted air uh, and when you get a venue, make sure that you don't just put it on the night the venue owner wants it on. And if they really, if you can't agree on a night, then go and find a different venue. But just take your time and then let everybody know about it. That's what I would say. But just do it. But just make sure you keep an eye on the time. Mm. That was that was very much Hills, uh, Hills Jager, her, her thoughts on it. <laughs> she runs great nights. She does. Yeah, timing is the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she made that extensively <laughs> clear. <laughs> Like I remember, she she was like, just if you run over by like a minute, I'm very unlikely to book you again. Just because, even if you're nailing it, because if I've got pro act coming down, doubling up, whatever, I need, I need you off. That's um, always an issue. Yeah, um, yeah. and and yeah, I've, I've and it's good to run, if you're running a new night where everyone does have to actually keep a track of time. It does help them develop as acts to play bigger nights where it's very very crucial that you stick to the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard that before. I've I've done a I've done a bigger night than I was so like as I'm going up you know I'm doing doing open mic doing like middle spots or whatever and all of a sudden someone books you and they go oh do 10 and I do 12 and they come off and they go I mean it was and I'm like oh it's only two minutes and but this was like you know two years ago or whatever and you're like that is two if everyone did two minutes that adds up 
Yeah, that means that the headliner, who's the person who's actually, the people who've bought money to come and see the, the person who sold the show, essentially, then loses two minutes. And everyone that does two minutes, they lose two minutes for every one of those people. Yeah. Time doesn't extend in big in big venues. You have to be out by a certain time. Yeah, definitely. So it's like if it's your night, just keep just keep some control over it and don't let people persuade you to do to, to, to let go of that. Mm. that that's, that's one of the key things. And then just be nice. And also, check out that there aren't other nights running on the same night, <laughs> particularly big ones. There are at least 28 nights in a month. Just check that you don't set your night up in opposition with a really nice night that's been going for a while, run by someone you like, or just another night that's really successful. Pick a night that somebody else isn't doing. I think that's really respectful in a small area, particularly, um, and probably more appropriate regionally than it is in London. In London, so much bigger. But just do your research and check that you don't set up on the same night as someone else. Mm. Just keep the respect amongst the circuit. You can't be responsible for what other people do, but you can be responsible for what you do. So if you are that respectful, then everybody will notice that. <laughs> um, okay, sorry. One bit of advice to people who are new. For, for, for people who are new, for people who are maybe two years in, because you said that's sort of the sticking point. Yeah, for people. that can be. Yeah, and maybe sort of. Let's say before their first show, so whenever that be, because obviously that's different for everyone, but that's a really big like milestone for most people. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my one bit of advice, I mean, I'd have loads of advice for people who are new, but let me think what my most, my strongest bit of advice would be. Okay, my strongest bit of advice would be be original. Just be original. You know, put yourself into what you're doing and be original. There is no point in just doing generic, bland, stand up, you won't stand out. Um, and kind of also another bit is like just persistence will get you a long way yeah and listen listen only to people who are properly in the comedy business but listen thank you Sean Walsh <laughs> yeah and that's Sean's that one so that's two from me and one from Sean okay and people who are two years in you probably need you probably need to cut your setups down <laughs> You probably need to cut your setups down and replace a lot of those ands and so's with full stops. That's what I would say. If you keep getting the feedback that you're rambling, you're rambling. That that is that's going to be for a lot of people. Just cut your setups down, sharpen it up, because after two years, you want to be starting to do competitions and getting into trying for bigger gigs. And in order to play those bigger gigs, you need sharper, shorter, more concise, quick to the punchline material that has a lot more pauses and gaps and kind of visual stuff. Remember that stand-up is visual. It's not, the audience aren't just listening, they're watching you. So get some more stuff for them to watch in. Uh, it needs to be, it probably needs to be tighter, sharper, and just that little bit more original. Just really keep those punchlines original. Be really consistent in who you are as a comedian at that level, which is hard. But that would be what I'd notice most people, is that you need, probably need a lot less words than you're using. Okay. And for people putting together or looking into doing their first show? Don't do it until you're absolutely sure that it's going to be great because you can only be nominated for the uh, uh, Foster's Newcomer Award the first for the first show you do. If you want to be in line for that award, then that's only going to happen. You can So do something shorter. Don't do a full hour do like a 30-minute show or something if you want the experience. But keep an eye out for that award because, I mean, sniffy as we can be about awards and competitions. That's going to help that nomination. My other bit of advice would be work, 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 work on that show. And if it's not ready, don't do it till the year after. But put everything into it because that first show is going to be really important. Second show is going to be even harder. So get used to the work. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. 
You're very welcome. <laughs> that was Jill. I oh, I keep listening back to that one. It's it's like the Copstick episode. Which, by the way, if you haven't listened to the Kate Copstick episode, shapes the name Kate. Don't call her Kate. But if you haven't listened to the Copstick episode, that should be the next one you listen to, because it's like this episode, but for Edinburgh essentially. Um, this one was very promoted led and circuit led. But um, yeah, I just love chatting to Jill. It, it, she's so lovely and so giving and. Uh, even at one point even saying you know have I been useful have I been helpful I don't know you have yes you were amazing and um, I think I speak for everyone who's listened to this when I say everyone's got something out of this everyone really appreciates your hard work and if you ever need help or you ever need professional guidance or you ever need uh, assistance with your show you should definitely go to her because she comes highly recommended and from what you've just heard I mean it was I mean she's amazing I love her she's great again a very quick plug if you enjoyed this content and you want to keep me making it and you want to keep supporting the show, please, please, please go to uh, patreon.com forward slash RC Industry Podcast. Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the link on the website or in the show notes or on the RC Industry Podcast group, which uh, is on Facebook. And um, yeah, please sign up to donate a regular amount to the podcast to help me keep creating these. At the moment, I'm making two, three a month. Um, which and you can set a limit so if you want to set five dollars a podcast and you only want to maximally spend um, fifteen dollars a month because you're worried that I'm going to start making 20 a month which is not realistic but you know then you can do that and it will stop you from going over your budget and it will mean that um, you know you'll you'll only spend what you can afford so it's really flexible and it's really useful and I really love the platform and it would really mean a lot to me. It really helps out the show. Now, uh, if you have a minute, if you could leave it a review in iTunes, if you're a member of iTunes, that'd be great. If you uh, want to share this with a friend, that would help. If you can't afford, if you can't afford to help, just share it with friends because everything helps out the listenership. I know it's constantly building, and uh, I'm so grateful. Honestly, it's amazing to me. As I said, um, the way advertising networks are valuing this podcast is not the way that I feel it should be valued. Not in terms of monetary, but in terms of they are very old school and they are basing it on the number of listenership because they only care about reach. They don't care about how much you care about this content. And it upsets me that they don't care about how much you care about this content because it all they care about is you hearing their message. So I don't want to use advertising networks because I hate the way they are unappreciative of your value to this podcast and and um yeah so if you want to help out and you want to keep this going please go to patreon or please donate one off uh thing through paypal which you can do on the website as well really helps out the system and it really helps me out um yeah so thank you very much for listening uh the next pod should be out in just over a week's time so uh if you want to come and support me i'm doing the brighton fringe i'm doing edinburgh please come down and watch i'd love to say hi come say hi it'd be really great to see you Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for supporting. Thank you very much for sharing. And thank you very much for donating. See you soon. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.